0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many bad programs to see. You're also in Kate to like to debate the merits of all that they've seen comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, Let's look at the Show. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Coswick, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, as you can hear from this, just the lovely timbre of my voice. I've been sick this week. Um, but what's exciting is that you can hear this lovely timbre because I literally had no voice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I had kind of had a voice Wednesday a little bit. Uh, I almost went to teach, but then when I stood up, everything spun and I was like, I have not drunk the booze necessary for this to happen. I feel cheated. Um, so I didn't teach then either. Uh, what this means listeners is that I got caught up on a bunch of stuff, including, our show we're spotlighting. I watched all of Daredevil in like a day, and then I was like, I <laughs> hey. need more things to watch. <laughs> but they can't have subtitles, so I'm gonna watch a documentary. So like like that kind of thing. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm super ahead on viewing for the moment. Um, Yeah, but I'm behind on my work and also my sanity because I've left the house like three times this week.
1: I mean, I very rarely leave the house anyway, but I also work from home. Mm-hmm. So I just like I, back before I moved in with my person, like I would go days without leaving the house. <laughs> days, Kate, days. Um, So that doesn't really that doesn't faze me. But I'm I'm glad your, your voice is back. Are you feeling a little bit on the mend at least? Oh, yeah. Or- no,
0: I didn't feel okay. that bad. I was just tired of okay. sleeping all the time, but I didn't actually yeah. feel that bad. I just couldn't like talk like if i did this you could kind of hear me and that was louder than my actual speaking voice um for days that's only ever happened to me once before that was at my master's recital like the morning of my master's recital i woke up unable to speak and it was weird that had never happened to me before i wasn't even like sick beforehand but it got better over the course of the day and by the end of the day i was fine so this, like, I could feel it coming Sunday night because I was coming like, i on, like, five hours of sleep after a long out-of-town gig, and then I taught all day on Sunday. I could feel it going. I was like, oh, tomorrow, I don't know if I'm going to have a voice tomorrow. And then just it stayed gone <laughs> for much longer than I'm used to. Has that ever happened to you? Uh,
1: I've never, I've never, I mean, I've had, like, loss of voice in conjunction with, like, other illness type mm-hmm. stuff um but i've never had it just sort of go away on me um, um as but i'm also just constantly tired too sometimes yeah good so that's sort of the state we just all exist in sometimes i feel like
0: yeah yeah it's a it's a good it's a good uh you know time period for that right now i think aren't we all there yeah. don't we feel like we're all there Yay all i the, think so what a week I this like. this week has been uh, fortunately, yeah. as of the time we record this, nobody's exploded. I hope that's still true when this goes out. Thank you to our lovely <sighs> people working in, the, in, 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 uh, law enforcement and working in the mailrooms. by the way, can we give a shout out to the people in the mailrooms this week who have had a f-ing hard week? Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, that's not about TV. We should talk about TV. Uh, there's some TV news this week. Uh, Noel, why don't you take it away? Lest I talk too much and lose my voice again. <laughs>
1: Right. So uh, last week, uh, Iron Fist got canceled, which was sort of a hum type of thing. Um, And then this week, Luke Cage got canceled, to which we all went, what? No.
0: But we liked Luke
1: Cage. We liked Luke Cage. And the reasons um, given apparently were, hey, Netflix is actually sort of a television network now. Mm-hmm. And they had notes. Apparently, they wanted like some changes at the top of the creative show, according to uh, Deadline. Uh, which is really weird for Netflix's whole image of "Hey, we just like like creatives do their things." Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's what we're about here at Netflix. And so there's uh, there's questions, especially also because they announced late today that uh, American Vandal was also canceled. Um, those CBS Studios, which produces American Vandal, is shopping it around elsewhere because that seems like a solid fit for CBS All Star Trek. I mean, CBS All Access. <laughs> and um, so it's kind of it's. I'm wondering, and Kate, I'd be interested in your thoughts about this. If sort of whether or not Netflix is sort of ramping up in terms of like backing its own sort of stuff that it's producing because they announced like late last week that Orange is the New Black is going to be wrapping up soon. Or if they're particularly with like Luke Cage, whether or not Disney's soon to be launching proprietary streaming service is maybe going to take over the show and they'll do Heroes for Hire slash Daughters of the Dragon spinoff and just combine the two shows, or what the potential deal here is with this with Netflix going going on a cancellation spree, basically.
0: Yeah, um, I wasn't that surprised with Iron Fist just because I was a little surprised because it creatively got much more interesting by the end of the second season. Like, uh-huh. okay, now you cancel it. Uh, but I wasn't that surprised just because it has never gotten particular positive reviews or critical buzz or really anything. Not not that Netflix cares about any of that stuff. They mostly just want people to buy Netflix. Uh, but I wasn't that surprised. But I was very surprised by Luke Cage because that does have all of that stuff. It has a lot more buzz. It's it's uh, considered much more altruistic which is kind of their thing, or that's how they're wanting to sell themselves. But it really does just go down to numbers, I think. They've spent a lot of money on showrunners. They want to own everything that they're making. And uh, that's, I mean, I don't think it's that surprising. I, I would be surprised if Daredevil got renewed, you know, then I would be surprised at this point. Uh, But I would expect that the already announced third season of Jessica Jones will be the last for that show. I would expect Daredevil will end here and they might move over to the new Disney streaming thing. Uh, That would make sense to me, but I would be very surprised at this point if Netflix renewed either of them.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, especially um, – there was an article getting passed around Thursday or or today about social engagement numbers, which is basically the only thing we have when it comes to sort of evaluating – what people are thinking and doing and watching when it comes to Netflix shows and social engagement for all the Marvel shows have been down pretty significantly. Mm -hmm. And the social engagement for American Vandals also much lower than it was in season one, which isn't surprising because this first season of American Vandals sort of came out of nowhere and really surprised a lot of us. Um, Especially those that actually watched it when it like first Launched as opposed to those Johnny come lately's, uh, like me, <laughs> um, who watched it many weeks later. Um, so the social engagement numbers for those shows have just been incredibly low compared to where they were in their previous iterations. Daredevil slowly ticked down, Luke Cage was down pretty significantly, um, Iron Fist never really went anywhere um, except for Outrage. Uh, so that's sort of where a lot of people are sort of like thinking that they can look for a sort of a secret sauce sort of answer to this and what Netflix is looking at. But since Netflix will never, ever release numbers, even to creators, um, it's just sort of a, it's just a big guessing game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I which would, isn't fun. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't sound fun. Uh, I look forward to, or I don't look forward to, but I will be curious about uh, the experience that we'll likely never really hear about, but the experience the, these big name showrunners have at Netflix—they're um, they're locked into lots of money, but th- there's a like almost like less of a sense of security that you're going to be around the next season than you might have in network. Uh, there's a lot of on the on the bubble shows. Don't get me wrong in the on network and cable, but if your show gets a lot of buzz and gets some nominations and everybody's talking about it, you can probably feel pretty safe that you're coming back next season. Like the, there are numbers you can look at that allow you to sort of know where, how you stand. And Netflix doesn't have that at all. So uh, that'll be something that like, I don't know, 10 years down the line, when we start getting interviews with people post their 10 years at Netflix, it'll be interesting to hear about.
1: Yeah, it will. Um, And the only other thing I'll say about Netflix, and sadly this is behind a paywall, is that the Wall Street Journal did a pretty solid uh, story about its uh, corporate culture, and its sort of like ruthless approach to firings, um, and it's aggressively transparent and unpleasant, depending on your view of those kind of things, and lots of internal corporate speak um, specific to Netflix. So if you have a Wall Street Journal... A subscription uh check out that article um it was really really interesting um
0: but yeah yeah
1: netflix is just swallowing us all whole
0: indeed uh what else is happening in news right now
1: right so the other sort of big story uh broadcast wise is that megan kelly who has been over at nbc for gosh i want to say a year year and a half now i legitimately don't know um, at least this summer, uh, um, is potentially is, is out at, uh, today where she was handling the nine o'clock hour of today with Megyn Kelly, um, today is out, uh, out of there basically, and likely going to be out on NBC entirely after sort of defending doing blackface. Yeah. Um, she was already why... the on the way out yeah.
0: before that, but I'm sure that yeah. didn't help.
1: Yeah, no, her ratings never really solidified, and then she's just like, I don't understand why it's not okay to do blackface at Halloween. Yeah. It was okay when I was younger, and I just went, oh, Megan, first of all, how old are you exactly? It wasn't okay then. You're not old enough for it to be have been okay when it was younger. Yeah. Um... A because it's never been okay, and B it certainly wasn't okay then. Yeah. Um. So there are contract negotiations that are swirling, but she's definitely out of out out of today, and then is probably going to be out at NBC or is going to find some sort of new role. But I mean, maybe they'll just kick her over to MSNBC like they did with Ryan Williams after a certain period of time, and we'll all forget about it.
0: We'll see. Um. But she's getting her full payout, so. Oh well, naturally. Of course. Uh, I, just a couple things. First of all, did you see Patton Oswalt's response to her blackface comment? I did not. Oh, it was delightful. Uh, it was about it was like uh, Meg and Kelly were roughly the same age, and let me tell you, blackface was not okay. And I say this as someone who just. So as a small, foolish child who just wanted the world to know how much he loved Nipsey Russell at Halloween. So, like, that <sighs> was hilarious. Apparently there's uh, a poor, foolish young Patton Oswald didn't understand these things. And he wishes now that he had at the time. Um, and also, to all of the white people out there who, who may be listening, uh, including apparently some of my extended family members, it is not okay to change the color of your skin for a halloween costume. I don't care if you think that makes it more accurate or you're doing like a historical figure that you truly respect from the like the core of your being and it is meant for authenticity and respect and it is not meant to be a, like actively avoiding minstrelsy and such. It is never okay to change the color of your skin for for halloween from being white to being brown, black, whatever you think Asian skin tone looks like. Don't, like, if you wanna, if you're like, if you're gonna be amethyst, like I was amethyst at Comic Con one year, and you're gonna make your skin purple, that's a fictional character. That is a fictional character that some people feel is coded as being uh, a person of color, some people feel is not. There are whole discussions about that, but that is a different situation don't dress up as garnet just don't do it but um but if you are trying to change your skin tone to be a, a different shade of skin tone to be a historical figure that is not okay it is I know I know that you don't mean to be racist and it's not your fault that that is racist but it is and just like do some googling do your own research on why that is and if you still think that your ex- exception is is the exception where it's not racist. Feel free, theteleverse at gmail.com, to tell me why that is, and I will explain to you why you are wrong. And it's not worth it, because you will offend people that you are trying to uh, pay homage to and, and tribute with your Halloween costume. And the way that various communities of color feel about this is not more important than your desire to have an air quotes accurate... I don't know, Rosa Parks, for example. We're going to talk about an actor who later or some other historical figure. This is not okay. So just don't do it. Don't do it. I would love to get through Halloween and not see any pictures of really unfortunate Halloween costumes from people who don't seem to understand still somehow that it is not okay to paint a different color of skin on you on top of your privileged white skin for Halloween. That's not something you could just put on for a day. It's not okay. Um, are you? I was very surprised, Noel, that that is apparently still a thing that I know people that do not understand.
1: I'm not surprised at all. I, I, it's, I, yeah, I saw no, we I'm all
0: talked about out. this, like, last year and the year before that, but apparently, yeah.
1: No, no it's a conversation we have to keep having, apparently, yeah. which is lovely.
0: Lovely. But, hey, let's have it. Let's have it. Go back, return that makeup unopened to the store. You know, let's just, let's let's have that conversation now and not next week after Halloween. Um, Okay. Unless you have more to add on the topic. uh, Final news item.
1: Right. So final news item and let's end on something of an up note. Um, or, um, is that Glad um, released there where we are on TV report for 2018, 2019 television season. And this is a, um, the 14th year that they've released this, which, uh, they count, uh, the occurrence of, um, LGBTQ plus, um, characters that appear on television. Uh, this includes broadcast cable, as well as streaming platforms, So, um, like, top sheet sort of stuff is that there have been sort of improvements made in a couple of areas. So, top sheet sort of findings are that of the 857 regular characters, Kate, that appear in broadcast scripted primetime programming, 75, which is 8.8%, identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and or queer. Uh, This is the highest percentage that Glad has found in the 14 years that they've started this report when it comes to broadcast series regulars um there were an additional 38 recurring lgbtq um, characters um the numbers of this have increased from regular series for regular characters up to uh, um 120 characters um with recurring increased to 88 so 208 characters basically um on scripted primetime cable uh, 75 LGBTQ regular characters in scripted series on sc- streaming platforms, which an additional 37 recurring on scripted. Um, so upticks for a lot of things. Um, they um, they found uh, increase in racial diversity of the LGBTQ characters um, went up significantly in all three um, cable plat- cable streaming and broadcast. Um, for the first time this year, uh, LGBTQ characters of color outnumbered white LGBTQ characters on broadcast television, fifty to forty-nine percent. Um, asexual characters were included for the first time last year. There wasn't an uptick in that compared to the previous year. Basically, it's still Raphael on Shadowhunters and Todd on BoJack. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, no additional characters added. Um, there has been an increase in the representation of bisexual plus men, um, compared to um women uh, since the last time that they issued this report. And then I guess the, like the only other thing to mention is that um Netflix counts the highest number of LGBT characters on all streaming services. FX has the highest number of uh, K- uh, LGBTQ characters on cable. And then, which broadcast network, Kate? I oh, bet you can guess It's the CW. It's definitely um, the CW. School. Yeah, no, it's the easiest answer. <laughs> um, FX is also probably the easiest answer um, yeah. for cable. Um, so, the usual suspects. But you can go to GLAD's uh, website um, to download the full report and take a look at it. I haven't had a chance to read all of it yet. But um, they in speci- they specifically sort of include um, Will and Grace, Supergirl, Empire, and How to Get Away with Murder um, for their exclusivity um, in the report.
0: Okay. Well, great. That's the- Those are good things to hear. I do want to hear a number killed off count, uh, which I know we can look over to Autostraddle for that. I'm sure they'll have uh, an article looking at that as well.
1: Yeah. And it might be in this report. They just didn't top sheet any of that information. Mm-hmm. So...
0: Yeah, but uh, that, hey, steps in the right direction. So hopefully that continues to be a trend and not a blip. We will keep you guys posted as more, you know, as we get more numbers throughout the rest of the year. And next year, we'll keep following that, of course. Um, This year, uh, this year, this episode, uh, we're spotlighting Daredevil season three. Uh, You were uncertain how much you were going to watch. Did you watch the whole thing or just part?
1: Yeah, no, I got the whole thing.
0: Okay, well, do you want to spoil a little bit? Are you happy you got the whole thing? Should, or, or is this a good thing? Or, or what do you think?
1: I mean, it was fine. Okay,
0: more on that.
1: Yeah, that yeah strong I mean, reaction. more on that, but it, it was fine. It okay. was fine. Okay, yeah.
0: more on that at the end of the show. Uh, but I'm going to get some tea, and you yeah. guys are going to listen to some music, and we'll be right back with our week in reality and comedy. You
2: And Roofman were his friends The three of them were on surfboards Hanging ten There were big scary waves In the ocean And Dracula was putting on And lotion, gnarly dude, is what the wolf man said. The mummy's not allowed to get his bandages wet. It was a night to remember, full of fun and fright. A surfboard party on Halloween night.
0: That was Halloween Surfboard, which y'all will be surprised to find out. Actually is a pre-existing song and not something that was what? created... Yes, no. for Superstore. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's
0: what I found out uh, the, um, based on Twitter. Uh, but yes, we are not talking about Superstore this week. But y- you better believe I clicked when I when I saw that <laughs> that tweet about I think there's a link to SoundCloud or something. But yeah, it's, it's Halloween surfboard. If you don't know what we're talking about, go watch this week's episode of Superstore. It has a delightful subplot about it, and. Oh, have I been there? But you just can't—you can't, you can't yep. shut out the music. Yep. Um, Can. This <laughs> can't do it. Uh, this week in reality and comedy, uh, we're not talking about superstar, but Nola is going to get us up to date on the latest. Uh, the I guess episode dump or section. Yeah of Terrace House opening new doors then I'm going to talk a bit about salt acid uh, sorry salt fat acid heat on Netflix both of those on Netflix we'll both talk about blackish don't you be my neighbor and we'll round things up with a good place the ballad of donkey doug so Noel I went to catch up with Terrace House I also meant to catch up with Hilda more on that in our next segment uh but I did not uh what am I missing in Terrace House are we still enjoying our lovable gang
1: I mean, sort of. I didn't talk about I didn't talk about part three here, um, because we just sort of like didn't have like time mm-hmm. to kind of discuss it. Despite it being in the summer, um, it was at the end with a bunch of season finales, and then I just kind of let things lax. Um, one of the things that I should have talked about, though, is that Shohei, the acid jazz singer, um, had been pursuing Cena. Mm-hmm. And sort of in the final episode of part three um, titled appropriately kiss out of nowhere sort of forces a kiss on Cena during their birthday dinner, like grabs her by the chin, basically and pulls her in for a kiss. It's very uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. And that sounds like. Yeah, uncomfortable. Right. And there's an excellent article over at ugh, 90% vulture, but it's written by Emily Yoshida that deals with watching this as an American audience and then with the fact that the Japanese are very fine with it. Like, the commentators are cool with it. All of it. And yeah, there's but not, that's not surprising. No, it's not. It's not surprising at all. And the discussion of it is sort of, even within the show itself, isn't the best. Um, So I came into part four with some unease. Um, But I... It's good, though, is the thing. Is like, overall, it's good. The, The show works really hard to get you sad when Shohei leaves in episode seven of this part. And it's hard to reconcile the fact that he's kind of gross. Versus he wrote a whole song about his experience at Terrace House and performed it and made all the cast members, including a person who basically just arrived, cry. And it's really sweet and it's really well performed but it's also like this is gross and icky and everyone's mm-hmm. very sad he's leaving and I am not and it's <laughs> it's very sort of frustrating but um the big thing that comes out of all of this is that um a one of the cast members that joins um um in part 3 you um, is pursuing Noah, who's another cast member that joined in part three, and just kind of doesn't work very well. And Yu gets very frustrated with it, and Noah turns out to be pursuing Cena, and all this sort of stuff, and lots of like shenanigans that were maybe happening off-camera, which is scandalous for this show because that's not how this show operates typically. Um have, were pursued to the point where Yu sort of stages this courtroom style interrogation of cena to find out exactly when their relationship started and it's very real world kate it's very real world
0: that is not what we tuned in terrace house for
1: no it's not but this is something that i this is something that's sort of like cropping up more in this particular incarnation of the show i feel like and there was a new york times crosstalk article among a couple of folks uh, about Terrace House They don't even mention the kiss out of nowhere Which is really weird to me But what they do mention is that This particular incarnation has been driving really heavily On romantic interactions Between the castmates um, So much so that the castmate that comes in After Aya um, Not Aya After um, Mayu leaves Who was the erotic model If you'll remember um, um, Aya comes in after uh, Mayu leaves and Aya is basically pure fodder for Taka, Kate. Pure and utter Taka. Like, she comes out and basically says, A, I've always found Taka really attractive when I've watched him on TV. I've only dated older men, and yes, I do really appreciate a mustache. And it's just like, the producers cast her exclusively to get rid of Taka so that they would leave and go off together. Um, and the thing about this is, is like they're really driving the romantic entanglements this season. And the New York Times article uh, really kind of drives home this as a discussion of like, this isn't exactly why, this is part of the reason why we tune in, but it's feeling a lot more manufactured this year in terms of casting and everything. And one of the things I thought about this was the fact that because of where they were located, they can't go with people to their jobs because a lot of them commute into Tokyo for their work. And that's expensive to shuttle a crew from basically Nagano um, all the way to Tokyo constantly and i think that that's part of why we have this sort of weird like comedy set it romantic comedy set in nature sort of thing to go back to 1940s screwball comedies and how a lot of those get resolved in nature and end in marriage and that's sort of like an inadvertent vibe that i think has come across this season as they're sort of isolated in this ski resort-esque area um but they all like to commute to work or go to school and we don't get to see a lot of that life anymore. Whereas that was a big part of what drove previous iterations of the show. So I'm, I'm thinking like the whole dynamic of the show has shifted because of their location in a way. And I think that's interesting, but it's also not entirely why I watch the show, mm-hmm. um, even though it remains very soothing and very interesting um, overall. And I still like some of these characters. The New York Times article does not care for Taka, and I will not stand for that slander. <laughs> he's such a vague, nice old man who's only 32 years old. <laughs> um, so part four, I think, is generally pretty good, apart from the show's unwillingness to address Shohei's continued unpleasantness plus his really awkward asking of cena to be his girlfriend in a church with roses no no it's so bad it's so awkward he actually calls the church to ask if it's okay and it's not like the no it's not um so the only other thing that i'm going to mention um and this will play out across part five whenever it drops probably by the end of the year Um, is that a new member joins as, uh, Shohei leaves, um, an aspiring makeup and hair artist who, um, identifies as bisexual Mm -hmm. and is also acknowledges the fact that he's still also sort of figuring out his sexual orientation to a large extent, but he identifies as bisexual at the end of the episode. And it's just like first queer person. Um, on the show, which is something I've always been sort of trying to figure out if that would ever get represented here. And so I'm eager to see how this continues to be represented in part five when it comes out, um, and how they sort of allow space for that, given, again, the show's heavier emphasis on uh, romantic and sexual entanglements this year. And what that means and going forward. And so I'm really curious to see how that plays out um, in part five. I mean, I can look because there are episode summaries because it's still airing in Japan. (laughs) But I'm, I'm eager to see how that plays out and what that means for this show going forward and how they depict that and how some of the other rest of the cast sort of responds to that. He comes he makes his orientation clear to Taka and Noah, uh, who both seem just very cool with it, um, as they should, but the degree to which that they um whatchamacallit, um how he interacts with everyone else in the cast and how they respond to it is gonna be really interesting, I think, going forward. So I'm curious, um and excited about that they have finally have someone represented who's queer on the show
0: yeah no that's uh that'll be interesting to well to hear you talk about when you get a chance to to watch the next set of episodes but uh it's always interesting to follow the only other queer rep on reality tv that i know about is those two women that were on was it taiwanese bachelor who left and started dating each other
1: yeah yes yes Which I've never loved. those articles like last week or this week. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's the only other one I know uh, outside of, uh, you know, obviously queer dating shows and stuff like that. But, right. Um, but no, yeah, that'll be interesting. And uh, yeah, I haven't watched in a while, but I know that I enjoyed Taka, so I would not hear this slander, but I'm behind. So maybe there's stuff I've missed.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's... he's he's been around for a long time so everyone's kind of tired of him but he's just he's so inoffensive and he just cares so much
0: um i feel like he, it's good to have a more grounding presence
1: among the young idiots yes <laughs> so and there are a number of young idiots on this show
0: <laughs> yeah well at least yeah. the part i watched we we yeah. all know <clears throat> yes there was i don't remember his name but yeah uh, yeah
1: no i know who you're talking about oh yeah anyways Oh. Uh, but anyway, tell me about salt, fat, fat acid, and heat, please. Now, do what you
0: is this? do you know salt, fat, acid, heat? Do you know what this is?
1: I know it's something about cooking or like um, preparing food, but that's the extent of it.
0: Well, it is based on a cookbook okay. that I'm showing Noel. That I okay. Uh, hopefully, if only we were the lovely person who gave cake. this to me is not listening. But I, I haven't used it yet since it was given to me several like a couple Christmases ago. I intend to. When I, you know, have more time, I will dive into it. But it is a really lovely uh, cookbook with, like, they have an entire section on salt. Obviously, it's right there in the title. But, like, on which salt you should use and what the different types of salt are and how that affects the chemistry. So, you know this is catnip, right? This is exact – it's, like, science behind food and why it works the way it does and the the elements you need to any dish – are salt, fat, acid, and heat. If you can understand those four concepts, you can cook anything. Is the you know the idea behind the cookbook? It's by Samin Nazrad and um, I probably mispronounced. Her last name, um, but the the reality show or the show, the travel show, sort of cooking show um, on Netflix follows the cookbook author who's a chef. Uh, there's four episodes, each about you know, like 50 minutes. Um, one, the first one is fat, and then salt, and then acid, and then heat. And each hour is set in a different area. And so, like for for fat, they go to Italy. They talk about olive oil. They talk about um, like uh, the different types of of fat on and the different cuts of like pig um, so like prosciutto versus like some other other types of like all the different ways that you break down a pig and the like respecting that type of fat and what that means they talk about a little bit about butter they talk about different um, they, they talk about um, I think there's some gelato in there uh, but anyway so it's talking so for, for fat they go to Italy for salt they go to uh, Japan I want to say, and they start with, uh, seaweed that gets, gets, uh, uh, I guess farmed fished. I yeah. don't know. Uh, farmed. but gathered, right. And then used to, 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 to bake salt and then talking about different kinds of salt and then, uh, cooking with salt and, and, um, and, uh, pickling and all those so pickling is with the acid is that, so the, that idea then for acid they go to Mexico um, and uh, uh, very specific areas they talk about uh pickling they talk about citrus they talk about honey which is acidic which I didn't realize um mm-hmm. and then for heat they go home <laughs> and she cooks at home um with her family and uh, they they make several dishes um, so what's nice about it is it's it's very uh Again, it's sort of academic, but also very accessible. Um, If you are completely new to this stuff, you'll understand what's going on and you will learn a lot. If you are not, there's enough specifics in there that'll keep you interested. So I think it's really well balanced in that way. Uh, I liked very much seeing different faces, um, different types of people uh, represented here than you usually see in these kind of travelogue shows. Um, There might've been like one person i knew beside, beforehand besides you know the actual sh- host yeah. yeah um and that's refreshing um but it also i it it wasn't it wasn't as gripping as i would have liked there was a uh, very specific uh sociological stuff about the different regions when they went there uh, but i w- was more drawn in by uh ugly delicious I will say. Okay. Um. So it. W- I like. I watched. Like this was again in an afternoon as I was like hopped up on cold meds and making sure I didn't talk. <laughs> so, uh, so. So I, I. I watched all four in a row. I would not necessarily recommend that unless you were like like raring to watch more. Uh, I would say like watch one or two and then come back later and watch the next two. Uh, but I, and especially the last one, I was far less engaged with the last one. Uh, which was just kind of—it felt like a much more traditional. Like now we're gonna watch how I cook uh buttermilk chicken, and and now we're gonna do this. And and, and it wasn't as um, there wasn't as much discovery with the host because in the other ones you see her like learning about things. And obviously, does I know about Parmigiana? Uh, what's the full name? Parmesan. Like the the yeah. giant bricks, of course she knows about the giant wheels of heat, G- but um, they really she makes it very accessible. She's that audience surrogate for you, so she's like learning with you, air quotes. But she knows. I think I think you can get how much she already knows, and then there's new stuff that she's learning on top of it. Specifics that she's learning on top of it that is engaging. And we don't you don't get that in the last one because she's the host. She's the one who's telling you about heat. Um, well, so the second half of it, the first half of it, they go to her home the kitchen like her restaurant that where she mm-hmm. came up and they talk about cooking over an open flame and so that there's more but but is less of her discovering uh so for me that was a little less engaging and it also could just be that i was dosed up on cold meds and four hours in and ready for a nap that's also yeah. very possible uh but i thought it was interesting i enjoyed it um I, again one of the things like i already said that i've seen people talk about is there's a lot more ladies. There's is a lot more like different looking faces and types of people on this than you typically see on these shows, and that was awesome. And I underline, highlight, star next to it. Really do appreciate that. Um, but yeah, seek it out if you're a foodie. Seek it out. Seek out the cookbook if you're. This sounds interesting to you guys. Uh, seek out the cookbook because it's it's awesome. I've paged through it. It's awesome. I just haven't, like, bust out the recipes yet. Though that buttermilk chicken did look really good, so maybe I'll need to do <laughs> that. Um, and, and it's also very, again, when they're making dishes, they're very accessible dishes, and they're the kind of thing that, like, that, they, they make a point in the last episode to use very inexpensive things. Like, you should be able to make the, you don't, shouldn't need fancy things, fancy ingredients to make delicious food. So, like, they do, like, a like a vegetable salad, um, so, so that's something for vegetarians, uh, they, they make, um, it's rice dish, uh, they ma- she makes chicken. So it's just very accessible, which is nice. And then the other, some the other episodes, they have this like ridiculously expensive and gorgeous, uh, honey that grows in this one specific type of bee in this one region of it. It's like, it's a lot more specialized than the other episodes, but. Um, but it's just really, it's really neat. It's very tactile. They really focus in on like the sounds and they describe the smells as much as you can. The visuals look great too. Uh, so I enjoyed it. Uh, but it, it's not as like see as something like, uh, Ugly Delicious was, I I suppose. But, um, but certainly if you didn't know that this was the thing that was happening, um, and you enjoy other like travel cooking shows, it's worth, it's worth checking out.
1: Sounds good. Um, I may try this.
0: And again, only four episodes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I may try this.
0: Yeah. So our next episode is Blackish. Don't you be my neighbor, and this is the Do you call the cops episode.
1: Yeah. Uh. So it's it's pretty standard sort of Blackish episode. Uh. In terms of its overall setup, um. Dre realizes he enjoys calling the cops (laughs) Uh, on white people. um, on white people who are running out airbnbs um in his neighborhood and i'm legitimately surprised that this place that this this neighborhood does not have an hoa regulation against that oh, yeah. no it's ridiculous Surprised? it's yeah. it feels really manufactured for the sake of this episode that there is not one of these regulations in place about this um because there would be <laughs> um based on everything we know about this neighborhood anyway so very standard Blackish in that there's a whole montage of Dre just really enjoying it and like relishing the fact that he has the ability to mobilize a police force to his benefit in a way that is just not something that he historically will have access to. And naturally Blackish is just like, yeah, but maybe it's not that, maybe just dial it back a little bit. Um, after Jack ends up calling the police, um, on a group of African Americans who have also rented out one of the Airbnb houses and having a very large party and very loud and it results in everyone having to get ID and dealt with in a way that is different from how the white people were being dealt with when the cops were called. So there's a whole discussion about the police as a system and about, the how that operates it's not as in-depth as i was necessarily hoping it was going to be but i think that the sort of emotional beats that come about with jack as a result of this at the end of the episode make up for that to a large degree um the episode generally i think works very well but it's it's a good very solid blackish sort of topical episode after last week's premiere of all right, we're gonna deal with a gap year to keep our character um around <laughs> that we desperately need for the sake of the infant. But whilst um while not directly engaging much more engaging with an ish as opposed to the black, which comes through in this episode a lot more fully, I think. Um so how did you feel about Don't You Be My Neighbor?
0: Yeah, I thought it was a good episode and um I I mean you covered the the main plot. The subplot is Diane has a crush and uh, that, you know, what does yeah. it, what does it mean when you don't want fiery revenge or whatever it was? <laughs> like it means you like them. That's what that means, sweetie. Uh, note uh, they have just completely blah, what leaving her job out of nowhere because the plot demands it uh, for yeah. Bo. She's right back at the hospital, which is the best thing to do. Let's pretend that never happened. Um, and I, got, I was a little questioning about that with some of the dialogue in the premiere. But uh, I like that they confirmed that that no, we're going to. we're Yeah, she's she's back to full time work. Um, so so I, I thought the stuff with Zoe and Diane uh, worked really well. And I it almost feels a bit like they're going like, is the show coming back? We don't we don't know. Okay, we'll keep Zoe around just in case. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I mean, Yara Shahidi is fabulous. Um. But I like seeing, and I like seeing, you know, one of her friends from Grownish uh, pop up as well. I think that's one way thing that they can keep doing. But um, yeah, establishing that school is close enough that she can be home on weekends at various times when there are family events, I think works well. And really emphasizing like that if you're going to be in, you got to be in with your with your your sister and if you can't be it because you're at school that's fine but then you can't act like you're there um so I, th- I thought that that was handled well and the beats were balanced nicely
1: yeah i absolutely agree um especially as someone who does not do a great job with that with his own siblings uh, <laughs> um that 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 particular plot thread of dealing with that i thought was really well handled and um like you said it was a good way to keep again another actor around um but also given the show's ability to juggle um Lawrence fishburne's schedule as well and the show can do this without really missing beats and that's 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 one of the good things about the show is its flexibility in this regard that they can find good things for these characters to do when they are when the actors are available
0: yeah indeed our last episode for the week in reality and comedy is the good place the ballad of donkey doug So now we have our team cockroach off to save uh, their their loved ones and help them accumulate points without tipping their hands. And we get to meet Jason's father, who is Donkey Doug. Um, I'm curious how you feel about this. This was definitely hilarious. However... Did did we lose some of the mystique for Jason? I feel like it's inevitable for us to have done that. Was it worth the mystique loss to gain this picture of Jason's father and his life growing up?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I think. Um, In part because the performer who handles Donkey Dog is just so wonderfully attuned to the performance that has been established for Jason. Yeah. That it just it's such a continuation of that that it's just it's delightful and it makes up for that lost sense of mystique while just adding so much richness to oh, this is why he is like he is type of thing um that it's it's really delightful, and so I was very happy with it. I was happy with sort of the resolution of this whole thing of like. I'm going to do what my father did for me and what he his father did for him which is get caught by the cops so that you can escape. And <laughs> it's so good Kate. It's so good. And so I really appreciated that and I liked the fact that they definitely changed gears to help Pillboy instead. Um recognizing that donkey dog is a lost cause. Um but that Pillboy is Not bright enough to understand that astronaut spies are not a thing. (laughs) Yep. 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 But he's also positioned to actually legitimately help people as well. And he's good at it, it too. And he's good at it, too. Like, we get that scene of him explaining... Don't mix your don't mix your pills unless you want to like crawl into the ice maker. (laughs) Um, So he's legitimately good at it as well, like you said. So I really appreciated how all of that played out with this. And also just more Jacksonville jokes. I mean, Kate, that taxi scene alone just probably cost them most of their budget for the episode. (laughs) But I don't care. It was a very good joke.
0: (laughs) Yep. Indeed. It was it was. Yes, it was
1: fun. (laughs) Yeah worth it yeah how did you feel about like did you feel like we lost too much mystique of donkey doug or was it worth it
0: well it was really funny um yeah i it was i was but i was sitting there thinking about that while i was watching it going like this is really good is it a situation where now it will feel less unique
1: when Uh jason's
0: being jason moving forward You know, like how, how will this, I was was pondering that while I was watching, which isn't a great sign. Um, But I, I mean, I so enjoyed the episode that, you know, I feel like they, they really stuck the landing on that, on this. It'll just depend on how they treat the character moving forward.
1: Yeah. Uh, So what did you think about the uh, other plot of the episode involving Chidi going through simulations to break up with um, Simone? But also, sub question, way more important question. How do we feel about the fact that the show is just like going whole hog on just like, Eleanor is bisexual and we're not gonna make a big deal out of it? <laughs> that is terrific,
0: and I'm super yeah. here for it. Yay, that's the right way yeah. to go. I think it's great. Um I thought that it was entertaining. I thought it wasn't nearly as interesting as the Donkey Dog stuff, but I did think it mm-hmm. worked. And, um, I was enjoying the subs, like the running gag, I guess, sub thread of, uh, the, the various, uh, I guess, simulations <laughs> that Janet and others have been running. So that was fun. Uh, I will <laughs> refrain from further thoughts until next week. Cause I've seen the next one as well. And I have larger thoughts about next week's episode and where the season is like heading, but I'm mm-hmm. gonna hold off on that till next week. What did you think?
1: I, I I enjoyed it. Um, I liked the montage. Um, I liked um Kirby Hollow Baptiste um doing both a um Kristen Bell and then a Darcy Carden impression. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really good. I really enjoyed that um sequence. It's probably my favorite bit in the entire episode, honestly. Um, and I like to think that they had. Belle and Carden come on and do those and then her sort of try and match them. Um, But I just, I really enjoyed that bit as well. Um, But overall, it's, I don't think it's, like you said, I don't think it's as strong a subplot as the Donkey Dog stuff is Mm -hmm. for the episode, but I also think that it's still a good loose end to tie up. Yeah, Because I appreciated that they didn't just follow the whole ghosting yeah. recommendation because it's a very eleanor thing to do um but i i appreciated that that they tied up that loose end um when they did so that they can go forward with the soul squad slash team cockroach trying to help those around them and so even though they are beyond help And so, yeah, and I'm, I'm curious to to watch, um, next week's episode. I can't believe how deep into the season we already are. Um, it's flying by Kate, it's flying by. So I'm eager to watch next week's episode and talk about it with you then based on those comments.
0: Yep. More on that next week, everyone. Uh, then we also had several Halloween episodes. We had speechless and fresh off the boat. Crazy ex-girlfriend did a thing in the, in a graveyard. We had, um, uh, Bob's Burgers did another Halloween episode. Don't think about how many Halloweens they've had. Just don't, don't question it. <laughs>
1: uh, it's so funny that you say that. Because Sarah Lynn was basically just like, why haven't any of these kids aged? They've done like eight Halloween episodes. And Louise is exactly the same. What is happening here? Eh. Um but also, on the other hand, Tina's Halloween costume was amazing. In fact, all of their Halloween costumes were amazing.
0: Very so, good. They're very yeah. good. <laughs> um, what wins your week in reality and, uh, and comedy?
1: Um, Let's see. I, I did enjoy Speechless Holo- Speechless's Halloween episode, even if it had a bunch of familiar beats. Um, Nightmare on Ocean Avenue Street, which was the Bob's Burgers one, was also pretty good. Um, but I think I'll give it to Ballad of Donkey Dog um yeah i'll give it to the good place what about you
0: yeah i think it'll be good place for me as well um i did enjoy the other ones you know like i liked the cringe song from crazy ex-girlfriend uh Um, in the context of the episode i thought it didn't necessarily work but pulled out of that i thought that was fun until the last beat was a lot too i think too much but um yeah but in general that song worked way better than i felt like it should have and and i loved the outfits Oh, those the outfits were, were the awesome. best part of
1: that song. They were yeah. the best part of the song.
0: Um, but no, I'll, I'll also give it to the good place. Now we'll take a break, uh, listen to a little entry day, and come back with our weekend genre. You're broken
2: down and tired of living life on a merry go round. And you can't find a fighter. But I see it in you, so we're going to walk it out. Woo Mountains We gon' walk it out and Mm -hmm. woo Mountains and I
0: That was Rise Up by Andrew Day. And this week in genre, Noel's going to talk about Hilda on Netflix. Uh, season one, we'll both talk about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina season one. Uh, Noel has seen the premiere and I've seen more, more on that next week, but we'll just we'll give a few thoughts here. Then we have the premiere of Legends of Tomorrow, The Virgin Gary. We'll talk Flash, Death of Vibe, and we'll run things out with Doctor Who Rosa. So first up is Hilda, which is an animated show on Netflix. And uh, you had said last week we should check it out. I still haven't, but it's on the docket for tomorrow if I have time. Uh, what should I know about Hilda?
1: Right. So Hilda is incredibly charming. This dropped on Netflix about a month ago, so a little late to the party. Um, but uh, this is about a young girl named Hilda. And it's set in some sort of... Um, current day situation um, in undefined Scandinavia area um, in which there are both normal humans and fantastical creatures like trolls and giants and forest giants and woodsmen and all sorts of like characters based uh, and informed by Scandinavian mythology and that kind of folklore. And Hilda enjoys making friends with these people and exploring their cultures and that kind of thing. The entirety of, like, the first two episodes deals with Hilda having to grapple with the fact that their house is surrounded by elves that they cannot see because they have not signed the proper paperwork. (laughs) And exactly, elves are very keen on paperwork, Kate. It's very important to them. And so there's there's this whole big sense of whimsy about the show that I really, really appreciate. Um, Hilda's very plucky um, and believes she knows best. And as the series progress, has to deal with the fact that she maybe not necessarily knows best um, sometimes, but also has to adjust to, as um, their house gets destroyed, spoiler alert, by a giant, they have to move to Trollberg, which is the big metropolitan area nearby. And she has to deal with the fact that the city's kind of boring to her compared to nature and the wilderness and everything. And, but she learns that there's plenty of things that go on in the city and I'm just giving you sort of like surface level stuff. um, But the entire show is just delightfully charming and affirming. Um, This is a British Canadian co-production distributed by Netflix and it's based on a series of graphic novels um, from a British author. Um, and it's just... It's really good. It's really warm. Um, I just sort of described it as someone as, like, hot cocoa. Um, or someone described it to me as hot cocoa while I was talking about it. One of those. And it, it's exactly that. It's deeply comforting. Um, it's really delightful to watch. And there's just so many really good positive things about it about friendship as you would expect from a kid's show um but there's also just a sense of trying to really get into finding whimsy in the ever every day and trying not to lose that sense of that and so that comes through um especially towards the end but also in kind of a couple of scary ways as well with Nightmare Demons that are, of course, teenage girls, Kate. Of course they are. <laughs> um, it's perfect. And, yeah, no, it, it is kind of perfect. And that episode in particular can be, uh, it's episode six, which is the Nightmare Spirit. That episode can be a little creepy, so maybe not the best for young kids. But also, young kids tend to be a little more resilient or slash. What young kids find scary is always different, depending on so many contexts, that I o- I'm always hesitant to say, maybe not this particular episode, but the rest is really good. Um, But the animation's really sharp, the character design's really lovely, and it's just a really nice world to be in for 13 episodes. Um, So I really encourage you to check it out. Because um, I don't want to give a lot of way about the show overall, but it's really sweet. It's really funny. It's the appropriate level of... To me anyway appropriate level of Teaching lessons versus Just sort of engaging with stories And characters And it's just really really good And it was a really easy Sort of marathon watch My person and I normally did like three or four episodes At a time And just were really pleased with it So I I really strongly encourage you Especially if you like Kids programming that Feels accessible Not too kiddish um, but also is generally something that if you have kids, you can feel comfortable watching it with them, or no small children in mm-hmm. your life that you want to watch things with. This is a good show for that.
0: Okay, well, and it's nice to have something to recommend to people if they have right. kids, kind of a thing too. So, yeah, nice, good to know. Uh, I will hopefully catch up with it soon. We'll see. If I'm, you know, back to working, I might not have time this week. But who knows? Maybe I won't have a voice again. Yay. Um, Next up is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Season one dropped just today as we record. Um, So we're going to talk more about this next week. uh, But just a few thoughts. You've watched the premiere. Uh, Were you looking forward to this? Oh, yes or no. And
1: what did you think of the premiere? Uh, I was sort of looking forward to it. Like, not a lot. I mean, the primary thing I was looking forward to was um, Kiernan Shipka and basically just watching her on television, um, even though I don't particularly never particularly liked Batman, Men. Um, I always appreciated her performance as Sally really early on. And so uh, I was really I was really interested to see what she was going to do, basically headlining the show. And based on the premiere, she really carries it really well, I think. Um, just in again in the premiere you can tell me if this changes a little bit um but i think that there's a good ensemble here um based on the premiere um and it's definitely moody and atmospheric the art design is very good um but i also just have questions about some of the cinematography aesthetics of the (laughs) show Um, because I don't know what to do with this whole everything is out of focus except for whatever is in the center of the frame. That's the sort thing. Of thing that they're going for. Yeah. And I'm not sure I really like it. Um, especially even when it's like this person is clearly in focus. And then this person sort of that we're seeing from behind, um, is kind of in focus, a little half in focus and half out of focus. And I... I get that they wanted to convey a sense of an ease and un- dis- unbalance, um, but it-, it bothered me a little bit, Kate. It bothered me. Um, I'm also bothered that Salem doesn't talk, but that's just residual Serena, the Teenage Witch coming through. Oh, I still so <laughs> want
0: to talk, like, yeah, so much. I,
1: yeah, I do too. Um, so I liked the premiere. Um, I didn't like particularly like the note that the premiere ends on. It's a little... It's a little much for me, but, um, I'm, I do want to watch more not just because we're talking about it next week. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm intrigued enough, particularly again by Shipka's performance, more than anything else, um, to keep going. Um, so you've watched almost nine episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, how is it holding up for you and from, how's it holding up to you basically?
0: I like uh, some of the performances. I think that there's mm-hmm. some. It's has some interesting, very interesting things to say about being in, growing up in a toxic religion,
1: okay. and um, which comes through even in the premiere to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, like there's like there's elements of questioning and not questioning um, that are very interesting, and certainly it's has plenty to say about women's power and roles within that and the ways that is um like giving women agency and then the ways which people pretend to give women agency to actually further strip them of their agency um so we'll talk more about that next week i'm sure uh but there's some interesting things happening there and what i really appreciate about is that you can have real conversations about that kind of stuff it's and what the show is talking about and what what you think it has to say and like the different parallels that there are out there. There There's some really entertaining characters. Uh, I really like the cousin Ambrose. Uh, I I think that's an interesting addition and sort of like a, based on the, the 90s show, right? The, um, the Salem character who was a transformed warlock who was stuck in that form. and couldn't really leave for a thousand years. Ambrose can't leave the house. He's on house arrest um and is is a family member and is is a warlock uh so salem doesn't talk but ambrose is there and knows a bunch of stuff but he can't leave so like it's interesting like i'm sure it's an actual character from the comic book and that they just kind of like rolled him into salem for the for the 90s show but um that was interesting for me. Uh, I also really enjoy the two ants, the performances, and what the show's doing with them. Of course, Lucy Davis is terrific and Miranda Otto is oh, she's terrific. So good. Very Lucy good. Lucy Davis
1: is so good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um there that being said, there are some pacing issues and uh, some of there are some other performances that I'm less enamored of. We'll talk about that next week. I don't want to say anything because that might be spoilery. Um, but I, I also uh they are not meeting out their answers well enough for me. Um, and in the right pacing. So like I was a few episodes in, I was like, okay, like, um, what are some, what recap episode four, episode five, does this, do we get an answer about this anytime soon? No. Okay. Good to know. So I will be less pissed off when we still don't have an answer in episode eight, episode nine. So there's some stuff that they're There's some stuff I think that they, the show should have foregrounded and given an answer to early in the first season um, to justify the time we're spending with it, uh, that they Mm. don't all season,
1: apparently. Okay. Um, That's not great. Yeah. That's a little overconfident.
0: Well, and again, I think maybe it's stuff that they don't expect the viewer to key into as much or care about as much. Maybe it's Mm. that. Um, So who knows? We'll talk about it next week. We'll see if, you know, because again, I don't want to say anything spoilers yeah. um but so there's some pacing stuff like that that i didn't think is as successful there's some stuff that like the, i would say the end part of the season um uh, ramps up in a much more interesting way for many of the characters but then one of the characters has like does has a moment that's very out of character that i don't buy for a second but that you need to to like kind of pivot the last few episodes worth of action so we will talk about all of that Next week. So like, there's interesting things. And like I said, I really appreciate the, that it has, it wants to have conversations and you can really fuel a several hour conversation with a group of TV nerd friends if you want to. Uh, And aesthetically, right, it looks gorgeous. And the, the, the camera, like we were saying, the, choice of like the focus, not focus thing is interesting and very specific and gives it a very distinctive look and feel. Um the sort of different time periods, vintage, but also modern time setting thing didn't bother me. I know some people it did bother, but for me I was fine with it. It really doesn't exist in a real world. Like the Kinkle family, Harvey's family, like they all work in a mine and there's then somebody else has a farm and there's nothing else there, I guess, except woods. So like I don't know how they possibly have a second hand bookstore. Like they shouldn't. There should be a Walmart and that's it. Like I like there's some of the stuff that just doesn't make sense. It's not a real town. Um and if that's the kind of thing that's going to bother you, then you might get tired of it quickly. But for me I was happy to go with it. Um and more I guess that's about all I have to say until we get spoilery uh next next week. So uh certainly if you are at all Curious, I would say check it out. Chipka is, is good. I was hoping for a little bit more, but I think she's solid throughout. Um, and I hope that she... I don't know. I don't know if it's the performance or the writing. I was hoping for more range. I don't feel like we see hardly any range from her. She's very, like, normal kid dealing with crazy stuff for most of the season, so. Okay. We'll see. More on that next week. Now let's talk about Unicorns.
1: crazy stuff.
0: (laughs) Yes, Legends of Tomorrow had their premiere, The Virgin Gary, and uh, unfortunately, bad ratings. Really unfortunate ratings. (sighs) Horrible ratings. Which just made me sad, because why aren't y'all watching Legends? Because they went to Woodstock, and there was a dinosaur that was killing people, and it was delightfully entertaining.
1: A unicorn that was killing people. What did I say? Dinosaur.
0: I said dinosaur. I meant unicorn. I'm sorry, guys. Again, <laughs> cold meds. Blame it on the medicine. <laughs> um, okay, talk to me about not dinosaurs, but giant talking yeah. raps.
1: Yeah. Um. So I watched this. I didn't have a chance to rewatch this. Um. I watched it like a month and a half ago or a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's it's really good. Um. And it's very. It's very swift, I think, is also the really nice thing because they have to establish a number of things in this premiere of, all right, we're back in the good graces of the time bureau, but we're not talking about the whole fantastical creatures that have not really cropped up in the timeline uh, as of uh, Constantine's warning, but also we're still kind of trying to keep those on the DL and also Sarah and Ava are about to start moving in and living together, and we gotta establish that, and then also here's Nate's parents that we have to kind of begin to deal with, no one cares, and and so I think there's a really good sort of through line within this, but I think that there's also just it's Legends at its most Legends-y almost in a lot of ways, of like, alright guys, Unicorns are bad! They're scary and bad! And they eat arms! And they also really like virgins and also apparently the things that Gary did with Constantine did not constitute losing his virginity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And just all of that. It's just like, it's so delightful and so weird, but also just so open and honest about what it wants to be at this point that it's like, yes, no, everyone should be watching this show. Because it's just fun. It's delightfully fun and forward-facing in how much fun it wants to be without getting necessarily, while well, still paying off, sort of like emotional type stuff. Because I got a little sad when Mick was talking to the illusionary version of um, Axel. Axel. Yeah. I got a little sad about that, Kate. Um,
0: Listeners, if you don't watch Legends of Tomorrow, oh that's God. his pet rat who died last year. And, they had and, who, they and did it,
1: it, who they did it in, mer- in memoriam for in the yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> um. He came back as a hallucination
0: based on, because the unicorn goo. Um, yeah. Yep. No, it was, uh, it was like, it's just, they don't care and they're just nope. going to have fun. And that's yes. the right move for this show is absolutely the right move because when they do that, then they can like, you just have fun. You go along for the adventure, and they can work in the emotional and the world ending, universe ending stakes as it's appropriate instead of trying to have that be the center. And then it just, the show feels too dour and the. The fun is, like, they almost apologize for it. Instead, they're just unabashedly doing ridiculous things. Like, they're just going to do a Secret Service detail for, the- detail for the Beatles and then meet Paul Revere and do his ride for him. And then they're going to go to Woodstock and meet everyone at Woodstock. You know, like, and make a potion from things from all the legendary performers who were there. Like, it's just delightful and fun. And I think we can all agree... We need some fun in this current climate. So having at least a couple of shows like that in a given week is a really lovely thing. Um, so just going all out on the crazy, I think works really well. Uh, I wasn't hot on the, like the closing scene with Constantine. I think that is like, just, just get him on the ship. Like, come on. We know like, just come on. Um, they could just fast forward to him being on board. Uh, that would be better but by the time we get to their episode three episode four i think we'll be smooth sailing for the rest of the season
1: yeah i agree and i i I do not yeah the final scene is unnecessarily opaque Mm -hmm. um and but it's also just like well we can throw constantine around in a towel for a little while right all right let's do it is what that scene sort of feels like um And it's fine, it's enjoyable, but it's also one of those things where, narratively, it's just sort of frustrating because we have to go through the whole, we have to get the guy who doesn't want to be a part of the team on the team type of thing. And it's just like... It's just tiresome. No, it's tiresome and everyone's a misfit, so let's just do it. Let's just do it, everyone. Let's just get him on the ship and this is the best way for him to hunt demons across time and space. Literally, this is the best way. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And, and he's not as goofy as the rest of them are. So I think it'll right. take a little bit to get that calibrated just correctly. Right. But um, he's got such a great dynamic with Sarah that... Uh, it's that it, such
1: a good dynamic.
0: That it's going to be, you know... And then everybody else but, is just being wacky, stupid, doofusy big brothers and sisters.
1: So, like, in the background. Right. So, yeah. And they, they need a little bit of a straight man is the thing. Yeah. Just like... They need a slight straight man and mm-hmm. Constantine's just off kilter enough to be a slight straight man mm-hmm. um, for this group since Ava can't really fill that role
0: not anymore. necessarily
1: anymore. No. And, and Sarah Rips does sometimes,
0: gone. but like, yeah. yeah.
1: Sarah's also willing to be really silly sometimes. She'll just so. go with
0: it sometimes. Yeah. 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 But she can turn on the serious boss face when she needs to. Yes. And she yeah. also, you can see, enjoys filling that role in the group. Yes. Um and so like getting the, the the speech they can give her her rating on how she did in her inspirational speech that time you know like she, she enjoys that bit of the dynamic which is a really endearing part of the show to watch too so once they get that all calibrated together it'll be um particularly entertaining but yeah I mean like next week is evil bibbity boppity boo you know I'm gonna
1: be excited to watch it during the witch trials during which the witch trials Sarah already has. Bad experiences with the Sailor Witch Trials. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I, I would love it if they did a shout out to that somehow, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. 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 I'm sure they will. They can't, they can't, because re- that was such a good joke. It was
0: really good. <laughs> um, okay. So next up is The Flash, The Death of Vibe. Um, and I just thought like we should check in with that and, and see how they're doing with Nora and uh, also what we we're thinking of them Fake killing off one of their characters, and the way that they've actively tried to nerf the team by having them lose their satellite last season. Um, what did you think of this episode, and how do you think they'll, how do you feel like they're doing with Nora?
1: Well, I should note that I skipped episode two, so mm-hmm. I didn't watch it. And this will—I I came into this episode mainly to check out the new Wells mm-hmm. and uh, to see what that was happening. Sherlock. With. So
0: hmm? Sherlock, Sherlock. Yeah, and Sherlock. Um, it, it's stupid, but okay. I have
1: I have zero faith in Kavanaugh's ability to keep that accent going. Oh, no, just, just zero. Not at all. Faith.
0: <laughs> Terrific actor, not good with the accents.
1: No, it's it's gonna some. It's gonna keep dropping in and out. It's gonna be rough.
0: It it's took me a little rough. bit to figure out if he was supposed to be British or French. I'm gonna be honest.
1: Yeah. Same. <laughs> um. Um. So, but to answer your question, um. I'm okay with sort of like the fake killing type of thing of it. It I, I like the way that it's handled and the fact that I like that Nora figures it out, which I really appreciate um, considering that based on like the conversations that they've had over these past three episodes and slash referenced in this from based on information. The second episode is that Nora is incredibly well-meaning, but maybe not always listening very well, which also is just like, Oh my God, we've already done this storyline eight times on this show. Why are we doing it again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, why? Um, Which is another reason why I'm like, Probably not watching the rest of the season. It's just like, I'm tired of this conversation on this show. I'm
0: surprised that you watched it. I'll be honest.
1: Well, no, because I wanted to see what Kavanaugh was doing. And I wanted to also sort of get a sense of, like, the new big bad. Because I knew... I've read read the TV Club review of this episode. And wanted sort of a sense of what Cicada was about. And, um, so... And Cicada is all about continuing that nerfing theme with them, like you were saying. Is like they don't have the satellite anymore. Oh, they don't have their powers anymore because he does a, like a power negativity fueled with his dagger type of thing. Which, as I mentioned in my notes, Barry needs to learn some fighting skills from someone. <laughs> he literally knows all the good fighters in this Earth. They can. He can just get some lessons. He d- can't fight at all. <laughs> no. it's, it's
0: delightful because he hasn't needed to because he has super right. strength and super speed. So it doesn't. No. I mean, he doesn't have. He doesn't have s-
1: super strength. He, he
0: has. Just has super yeah, speed. but he has strength because he punches yeah. people all the time and he's punching at regular speed. His speed. It's yeah. just like like in his perspective, he's not like tapping them. You know, like but he 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 has more strength. I think than he did before. Cause he, like even just his muscle regeneration and everything, you know, like he doesn't have like superhero super strength or anything. But, right. Like, yeah, that's fair. Anyways, you know what I mean? Uh, but no, he, so, so without his powers, he's useless and it's delightful. I think it's actually a really smart move for them. Um, it's already starting to get old though. So they'll have to get a little yep. more creative, uh, which I appreciate. And I think that they can do that. I, uh, I am really enjoying Nora. And again, continue to love the casting but i am already tired of the nora has a, a fraught relationship with her mother and idolizes her father and iris is really upset about that like i'm already over that they need to like yeah. in the next episode deal with that and um i don't know if they will but they really should and um what else uh i like
1: that you're already over that whereas i just have watched this and the premiere and i'm already over by the way nora has a dark secret i'm already over that <laughs>
0: <laughs> what dark secret i thought we already knew her dark oh, secret
1: because um she Sh- 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 sherlock oh um, yeah that thing intuits yeah. that something someone is sort of like nudging her to do things
0: oh yeah i don't think it's a dark i don't think she knows it's a dark secret but yeah. i think yeah it's Yes. No, I see what you mean. No, that's, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a, she's intentionally lying to them. I think it, I think it's going to be like, she's uh, been manipulated as we've shown the show, as these episodes have shown. It would not be hard to <laughs> manipulate Nora because uh, she's so earnest and well-meaning, but doesn't always think things through. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that the, uh, the dynamic actually is working really well. Like they've established a familial bond kind of feel for them really Mm -hmm. effectively and really quickly. So that's down to the performers and the writers. And, uh, that, that's absolutely working. I was very invested in, uh, threatening Joe and Cecile and the baby. Um, so that was good. And I think that the stuff with Caitlin, I still don't really care, but I think splitting off the team into like Dibney and, 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 Caitlin to go do that was smart and giving and keeping a few other things going makes sense. So, uh, I don't care about Caitlin's thing, but I like that she has something to do. So if that's what they're going to yeah. give her to do, at least there's something meaningful and like a plot thread and like with emotional character beat stuff for her to do. Instead of just like looking around being like, I'll build a satellite. And Yeah. yeah. So it's not your
1: specialty at all. Yeah. You're a doctor. Yeah. You're a doctor.
0: They would have given her something like that to do in the previous season. So right. I like that she has a more personal storyline. Uh, which will yeah. of course come back and play at some point. Um, let's right. see, anything else? What well, did you think about th- the fight?
1: I I do think that one of the things to pick up on is at least right now, mm-hmm. um, based on what we learn about cicada when he's not in his cicada outfit. Ah uh, um, yes. Is that there is this through line about fathers and daughters happening across all three of the major plots this season. Yeah. Um, with barry and nora with caitlin and the search for her father and then whatever in the world is going on with um cicada, cicada and, and his and, daughter
0: joe and the baby hmm? Hmm? joe and the baby too
1: oh and joe and the baby too right thank you um was that something that was mostly in episode two because it didn't like... no no
0: just like uh, joe being like i think he's got a kid and oh yeah, i, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it might be a daughter from like yeah. you know just you know like which i also was a really nice little beat i love when they remember he's a cop and has been doing it a long yeah. time and yeah. should have good instincts um yeah. yeah but just like those different relationships have they've they've drawn on that and they have did a good jo- job drawing on the joe joe and, and and his kids and also his the new baby thing with having him talk with barry and and i think that was the second episode it might be the first but but there's good things they can do there and i'm sure that'll come back Mm -hmm. up later in the season so yeah
1: Yeah. so there's at least a through line and a a unity to what they're doing which i can appreciate even if i'm not particularly compelled by it um let's see the only other thing i will say is that chris klein just does not know how to physically emote when he's in that outfit it's real rough um, and I get that it's a tough thing to do, but Buddy's got to do better.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, the, the sound is really effective. The sound is doing all the work.
1: Yeah, no, it's doing all the work because his physicality, especially like, dude, you just got to step up your eye acting game real hardcore because it's not coming through at well, all. And you know,
0: it's something, it really makes you appreciate the things that, for example, Stephen Amell does really, really well on Arrow, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. Katie Bots does Really, really well too. When, when on, first on Arrow and then on Legends, um, the actors who are good at that, I think a lot of times don't get the credit they deserve in their performance, in their physicality, and that's something that um, I would love to see more bigger, higher profile, profile, more mainstream critics appreciate when they're scoffing at the some of the acting on on these action shows. Because, you know, we'll talk about Daredevil in a bit, but there are like there's Iron Fist and then there's Daredevil and it's not even a competition as to which one you actually believe when you're watching it um even yeah. if like the characters aren't talking it's just supposed to understand what's happening through a mask and through a giant padded armor suit you know like and more on that when we get to Daredevil but uh, but that's an excellent point and hopefully hopefully that gets better.
1: But. Yeah, hopefully, but you'll have to tell me because again, yeah. I'm probably telling you're not
0: out. a watch. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, our last episode for the weekend genre is Doctor Who's Rosa. So, Noel, when you heard Doctor Who was going to do a Rosa Parks episode, what went through your mind, and uh, what did you think about how they actually did with Rosa?
1: I was very, very nervous about this, Kate. Um, <laughs> Everyone like, I talked to, myself included, same response. <laughs> I was like, no, why are we doing this? This is, this is, this is the thinnest of ice cakes. Are we
0: sure this is a good idea?
1: Do we really want to do this? Third episode with a new showrunner and a new doctor? Oh, okay. 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 Because A, American episodes on this show, not always the best. Mm -mm. (laughs) That's through the 50 year run. And I yeah. actually like
0: the Gunslingers quite a bit, which is the first Doctor story. Um, it's very cheesy, but mm-hmm. I enjoy that one. But a lot of people really don't. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's only a handful of American-set ones, and most of the time that's for a very good reason.
1: Right, and also, oh, we're gonna do one set in the Deep South. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, so I was very nervous about this, um, in part because I actually knew that they were doing this, um, based on, like, the BBC America app sh- pushing, like, a preview of it when I went to go watch, uh, Ghost Monument. And so I just, I saw this before, I saw, like, a trailer for this before I saw Ghost Monument, and I just went, oh, no. Um, <laughs> so the overall execution, I think, is... Um, I think that there's... It's buoyed by a really strong performance of Rosa Parks, I think. Um, but I also think that there's... It falls into a weird type of space of that always it's important to be cognizant of when we're discussing Doctor Who, especially historically. Um, and that, again, while I'm not a Whovian by any stretch of the imagination, this is a show historically that has been sort of targeted at kids and the fact that there's also like particularly within this episode a heavy educational bent to it of like this is rosa parks this is what she did this is how she did it and like outlining that kind of thing um and it's good but it's also like one of the things where it's just like this is also a very surface level treatment of rosa parks um in a lot of ways. Um and that's frustrating to a certain extent, but it's also an episode that is adamant in making sure that Rosa Parks stays central to her narrative. Which I really, really appreciate, even while it's just like Rosa Parks was an activist for over a decade that we barely touch about and sort of pay lip service to to have a joke about Martin Luther King. <laughs> Um, and so so there's just that aspect of it that I think generally the episode is good. I think that the Doctor Who-ness of it gets in the way for the most part, but I, there's no conflict without the whole white alien (laughs) or white human prisoner going, this was all easier before civil rights happened, um, kind of getting in the way of what, I kept wanting to like having a larger exploration of Rosa Parks within an episode about her. So this was kind of muddled. So um, and maybe I can hash it out better while you tell me about your response to this episode as well. And we can have like a larger discussion, which is exactly what we're supposed to be doing.
0: <laughs> That's what we do. That's literally yeah. like what we do. Um, I So I thought they pretty much nailed it. I really like this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, I'm coming from my perspective. I love the pure historicals of the classical era and I classic who era and I wish they would do more of them. And I feel like this is about as close to a pure historical as we're going to yes. get. Um, And and I thought that that was essential with a topic like this. And uh, so like having there is like they need to like their job is to make sure history is not affected Yes, uh, that's their job. Here they're they're being the legends in this episode. And uh Or they're or,
1: being uh, Sam Beckett, because it also very much felt like a quantum leap episode with an evil leaper.
0: <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. Or I saw people making timeless references on Twitter. Yeah. Also fit, like very much. Um yeah. but I think it does so many things right. And uh I think having so they they want they wanted there to be some reason for them to be there. That's why Krasko's even there. Um so that potentially alter the timeline, give them somebody to to fight back against. But that all needs to happen in the periphery of Rosa because she can't know what's going on because that can influence her. And that would, like you said, that would rob her of her agency and her choice and her inspiration for, you know, what she did. And that would give it like her, like knowing that she needs to do like that. That would have been a horrible choice. I'm so glad they didn't go that way um so for me that that all really works well i think having the opening scene was terrific and that i didn't know that that actually happened with the same bus driver uh 12 years prior like that was that was an actual thing that happened in uh in rosa's life um obviously i know who rosa parks is i know a lot about her story i also know about claudette colvin i know about some of the other people who also got arrested for refusing to give their seats before or immediately after rosa parks but um they don't get into that, but uh I so like I but I there were still things that I didn't know about her that I learned from watching this. So I appreciated that. Like you said, the performances were really good, but even just like the second scene is you watch one of the companions get hit in the face and they don't use the N-word, but they go like as close as they are comfortable going. And I really appreciated that. It's disorienting and it is people talked about it being uncomfortable and Good. If you're watching an episode about the civil rights era, that has, it shouldn't be comfortable. If it's comfortable, you're doing it wrong, especially if you have companions or a doctor of color, um, as they do here. And having, uh, yes, been the whole episode getting called Mexican and like was really weird and uncomfortable. And again, that's appropriate. That's what it should be. Uh, I liked, we're going to talk about the musical in a bit, um, but I really liked a lot of the music choices throughout. I liked the way that they divvied up the, the group. I think they're handling the numbers of the group really well so far. They are. Yeah. And I can tell like having this episode be third and having like the tension with, with uh, Ryan and Graham made this episode really effective when he keeps calling him his grandson And Ryan isn't, he's not throwing that away in this episode. You know, he's not going, yeah, he is, but he, you can see from his body, from his language that like, that is so meaningful to him, that Graham is standing up for him and, you know, is constantly showing how, like his connection to his grandson um, in these different ways. Like that, I thought that really worked. Uh, Lovely performances from everyone. Uh, I particularly love, I love the way that they end it by making our our, um, middle-aged white man in our group be the reason that Rosa is is arrested. Like, that's such a, I wouldn't have thought of that. And that's such a smart thing to do. Um, And how uncomfortable he is with that. He's like, it doesn't matter because it's not about you. I don't care that you're uncomfortable. It doesn't matter. This needs to happen. So, be an ally. Do what you need to be where you need to be to to make have, have history happen. Um, because you feeling uncomfortable about this is not more important than everything else that needs to happen. So I thought that was terrific. Uh I love the little running gag about Banksy. <laughs> or am I? <laughs> that was great. And um, I mean I think some of the stuff they clearly are again are like laying or, or, or planting really obvious seeds that are going to come back later in the season with Crasco and, uh, and and the letters on the briefcase and that's all coming back. But um, for now I thought that it was well paced. I thought there was a good blend of uh, really like energetic scenes and really character-based scenes. I love the little scene behind the uh, dumpster, which was incredibly didactic. Uh, but that's okay cuz again like you said yeah. this is more it's geared a towards
1: episode. Yeah. It's
0: <laughs> geared towards children. And again like the, there isn't some larger conspiracy. It is just straight up you people got uh, above yourselves and maybe we'll find out Kraska is an alien and he's just talking about humans. That's very possible. But it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter. Because look at what is happening in our country right now. And granted, this is a British show. But we do not need complex things. We need to re- re- like, just like, reiterate the basic, obvious things. Like Nazis are bad. And racism is bad. And there isn't a good, like an interesting, complicated reason for it. No. There are just people who think we should just... Kill and blow up people for being different. Like, that is a thing that's happening in our country or in the world right now, Um, specifically in the US, uh, is what I'm thinking of. But, um, and this is made with a British audience in mind, but it's also made with an American audience in mind, let's be honest at this point. So, like, I just had being so blatant and straightforward, I think is necessary and was really good. And at the same point, I really love the balance they gave to Rosa, making sure they make her funny and interesting and, and like, she got some good gags, some some good like one liners in there, and uh, some famous dialogue, and some some like much more uh, individual ones. I really enjoyed that performance. That they did so much more than just have her be noble and brave, you know. Yeah. Um. So there were. I just really, I really like this episode, and um, I'm glad the way that the whole gang has come together. I think is they've gelled so quickly, um, and the uh the thirteenth Doctor is just. Lovely. Uh, can we open it? What if it explodes? Let's find out! You know, that's delightful. That's so doctory. Uh, I've been monologuing. I'm gonna have some more water. No, what no. Is, any thoughts?
1: Well, no, and I'm... I agree with everything that you say, is, like, the thing. It's just, like, I kept... I don't know what it was. It's like I kept just wanting more from, like, the episode, is the problem, I think. In that I just... I basically just wanted you know what it was I think I just wanted a special. I wanted a I wanted a special as opposed to a regular episode that gave them a little bit more space and time to deal with this and explore the topic. Um and I think that I'm faulting the episode for not being for being what it is as opposed to being not being what I want it to be, which isn't fair. Um, to the show in any way, shape, or form, because the things that you outlined, particularly sort of the, the scene behind the dumpster, which is really good, um, then how Graham and Ryan interact with one another and sort of provide a, provide a helpful relationship in this one, I think is also really, really helpful. Um, um, so it's just mostly just like me being a little too aware of Rosa Parks <laughs> and being like, but there's more to it than this, everyone, um, while still being like, no, take your foot out of your ass and, um,
0: well, acknowledge no, and, the fact <laughs> and the fact that the that her that was something that they had been planning for a while and yeah. and maybe I don't know, maybe you can tell me. I don't know if they she specifically chose that day to not stand up or just the opportunity presented itself and then they planned the boycott off of because they knew this was a good instigating moment but there's been something that they were planning for a while
1: yeah it was definitely something that they were planning for a while so it was just one of those things that doesn't come through in the episode which is they hint at by providing like a sense of like there's an organization here but Mm -hmm. it's also like not done well enough for my liking type of Mm -hmm. thing because again She was a really radical activist and was for a decade in leading up to this, basically. And And so that's something they
0: could have included in their list.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they don't because it's not the popular educational representation of her, is the other problem.
0: Well, but they make sure to to include the no, she wasn't just tired. She made a choice. Like, and they could have included that, like, that she had worked for the NAACP. Like, they could have included some of that in there too. I agree. Right.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of where I go, this is very surface level. It's a very good way to introduce her, but it's also like, there's so much more that you could have done and that you could do because there's plenty of access to archival information now. Mm-hmm. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah. Um, what was, there was something else I was going to say that I really liked. Oh, before we talk about the music, because we do need to talk about the music, um, is... I appreciate that the show is continuing to make sure that being a bus driver is important.
0: Yeah. <laughs> do you think they, um, like, backwards engineered the companions from wanting to do a Rosa Parks episode?
1: Yes. Yes, I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because, like, the bus thing. And, like, do, like let's do a Rosa Parks episode. Okay, well, we need to have companions of color for doing a Rosa yeah. Parks episode. We absolutely need to do that. And we should, let's have a, an old white guy, too because they provide contrast right like and then going from there and like i I don't know if they did but i i kind of feels a little too perfect you know
1: yeah it does but uh, um so yeah no i appreciate that but yeah so the music um I, i was watching this episode with my person and there's a musical cue that runs throughout the episode and it's rosa's theme yeah, Rose's theme. And I just looked at my person, and I just went, this is some Copeland-esque nonsense that's happening right now. Um, so, but I, the fact that I can recognize it as Copeland means it's probably supposed to be very overt. But how did you feel about it?
0: Well, let's start off with, I love Copeland, and we'll get yeah. into a knockdown drag out with you. I'm doing the old-timey fisticuffs, listeners.
1: No, I don't dislike Copeland, but... It's very, it's very Copeland. It's like aggressively Copeland. Oh, it's, it's- aggressively Copeland. Now, <laughs> yeah. for
0: listeners who don't know what that means, Aaron Copeland was an American composer in the like 30s through 50s, mm-hmm. let's say. Um yeah. And later, but like, you know, his, his, mo- his main works are the, what you're going to know from that time period uh, you would If you don't know who he is, you know him best from the Beef It's What's For Dinner song, which is Hoedown from Mordeo. Um, But he has lots of, of really lovely music. Uh, this past weekend, I played Lincoln Portrait. Um, but he also has uh, the Saturday evening waltz, Saturday night waltz, which goes before Hoedown. He's got uh, Appalachian Spring. Uh, there's the gorgeous Copeland clarinet concerto. There's Copeland uh, symphonies uh, or, or orchestral concerti. Um, there's a bunch of really great Copeland music out there and um, it is considered, he's called the Dean of American music. It's sort yes. of like the American sound along with other composers. Um, another big one is Ives. Uh, Roy Harris is a mm-hmm. big one. Uh, but the, what's distinctively Copeland about this is several things in in that theme. And it's another parts of the scoring as well. But in yeah. that theme specifically, you have the solo horn, you have mm-hmm. open perfect intervals which means a fourth a fifth an octave in this case it's a fifth i was initially triggering it like hearing it as a fourth and here's some this goes scores because copeland is a lot of fourths too but in this it has that leap of, da, 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 of a perfect fifth which is an open and unresolved interval which means it doesn't tell you whether it's major or minor so there's a lot of possibility and a lot of uh lack of resolution in that.
1: Um, which is distinctly Copeland Americana.
0: Which is distinctly Copeland and Americana. It's also like layering of different keys on top of each other is a thing that he does and and clusters and, and other things too. But there's an openness to his sound that uh is very evocative. And uh for me it was just absolutely incredibly effective. For me, Copeland, that sound just instantly translates to America. It instantly translates to heroic heroicism and uh, myth, like almost mythic figures of good. And, uh, and, and and just like, that's, it immediately sounds like that. So like the, and that's something you could build on from Copeland to like, if you listen to some Copeland and then you listen to some John Williams, you will hear a lot of things in common. And uh, so something like, like the NBC sports music, or like the Olympics music by uh, John Williams. These these kind of like fan fairy horn kind of things with lots of uh, open fifths and, and fourths and stuff. That is all very Copeland. And so using that for Rosa, I I was I was thinking about this all weekend. I was thinking about this all week uh, since I watched it. Um, it was interesting because yeah. especially for a, a British audience. A British,
1: yeah, exactly. It's
0: immediately American. Yes. It's time period specific like yes. that. It works for that, too. But he also keep in mind was a white guy, <laughs> but he wasn't. He was, but he wasn't because he was also a, a gay Jew uh, whose family came from Russia and before that from Lithuania. And he he was agnostic, but he came from a, a Jewish background. So he also was was from a family of immigrants And he also experienced, he was blacklisted. He was a big old like commie progressive. He, uh, he, uh, was very much like, I think nowadays he'd be considered like a socialist, democratic socialist. Um, so he, it's, it's an interesting combination of like, okay, why are we using this often considered stereotypically white sound, white American sound for Rosa Parks, but then, of course, I remember that they used that other song in her first scene, right? And then mm-hmm. late, and then they bring in the Copeland layer that on top. So I, I went back and forth whether I thought it was appropriate or not. And I ended with, I think it is. I think it fits very much with uh, like the, the notion of like the progressivism and standing up for rights and the civil rights movement. All that stuff, I think, does work with Copeland. Um, you could make an argument, maybe we should have had some Nina Simone instead or something more of that feel. I would get a very different feel. But um, for me, it really worked. The use of the horn and the solo horn is, a, is very evocative for like a lone hero kind of a feel as opposed to something with more backup. They don't they didn't want her to have backup. That's the whole point of it. Uh, so that works really well. Horns for heroics goes back like as long as you can go um, yeah. in musical history. So that works really well. But what I also like about it is the lack of resolution felt very honest and having the notes rise up that big leaping motion feels like the standing up, you know, and then, but then if you note it, then immediately goes back down, but it ends, I want to say like a a whole step higher than it started. So it goes like five steps up and then (laughs) four steps back down, you know? So you, it's like that, that notion of the very slow march towards progress, I thought, and I'm probably overanalyzing, but like, that's, what I heard in that theme. And I really like the way that they established that in the first scene with her, when she gets her purse. Um, and then they bring it back throughout the episode in different orchestrations. Um, and then when they, we actually have the moment on the bus, they go to the Andrew Day song that also worked for me. I know some people didn't like that, but for me that worked as well. Um, I just, I loved it. I loved it. There are other Copelandy kind of elements to the score as well. There's some interesting percussion stuff happening. There's a lot of mm-hmm. like sort of distorted y kind of sounding percussiony like layers of sound feels, uh, especially um, in some of the tense moments. When you look over at the like the whites only signs, there's some of that uh, as well. Then there was also some very Coplandy like kind of layering of strings at different points as well. Um, so it wasn't all the way throughout the episode, but it was not just that Rosa theme. So for me, it was very appropriate, and I really dug it. Um, and I've been again, I've been monologuing, so I apologize. Uh, any further thoughts?
1: Well, I think that like. Without, like, the ability to explain music, since I have no background in it, but the fact that I've listened to enough Copeland to be able Mm. to identify it, is that what struck me was the thing that you mentioned about it being a British show and immediately going, well few things more american than copeland basically sound wise in a way yeah um in terms of thinking about like orchestral sort of arrangements yeah um that immediately summons up this idea of america capital a exclamation mark if you want one yeah um and so it was sort of like a all right how how are. A representation of like How are the British thinking about America Within this like structure basically And so And so that was like a thing that I was navigating But it was also like really driven home By the use of this Copeland inspired Score for the episode Which I do think works really well And for the reasons that you've already enumerated Like this, op- the open-endedness That is within Copeland Generally, but this through Here pays off dividends with What you just said about Going five steps up and then four steps back and the slow march type of thing all comes through really nicely while still being this sort of um, grand, but not grandiose, um, optimism. Yeah. That is embedded in a lot of what Copeland does anyway, but then also comes through really well within this episode by following a lot of his lead, basically, in this. So while I say it's nonsense, it was also sort of like a, but the, it works, it's really good working nonsense of like, right, no. I this see is what good, you're
0: doing here.
1: Yeah, I see it's what you're working. doing here. It's working, is exactly how I was feeling about it. It was just like, I see you, show. <laughs> I, I, It's working, but I see you. But it's also one of those things where if you're not necessarily aware of Copeland, but you've heard like any of the common
0: man or right
1: the common man is exactly what i'm thinking of like when i'm thinking Uh, about when i think about copeland i think about that piece specifically and um so that comes through and so i think that it's something that even if you're not necessarily aware of copeland as like a name you can recognize those beats um and those those arrangements and that everything that you just said (laughs) yeah well, it comes and, through. Yeah.
0: And, it, you know, I should also mention that there are plenty of people who don't like Copeland because they find it too jingoistic, find it too simple, too, uh, like, uh the, and especially the way the music has been used and right. the way it gets, it's interpreted.
1: Right. But, I mean, we can say that about Springsteen, too.
0: You can say that about plenty of things. That's not yeah. Copeland's fault. The way his music yeah. has been used since, you know. In the past, however yeah. many decades, is not Copeland's fault. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think for me it, it worked. But I was sitting there thinking, like, are we really gonna score the civil rights movement to Copeland right now? Are we gonna score the civil rights movement to a white a white guy, even Russian Jew? But you you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. it's like it like. Apparently, I'm okay with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, I mean, but, yeah. I mean, that was also something that like um I did to, like kind of piggyback off of that um like. My person and I watched like the first two episodes of Haunting and Hill House. Mm -hmm. And they give Shirley Jackson's book basically to the white dude in the show. And it's a weird, uncomfortable sort of thing that you kind of have to reconcile. Huh. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know that I'm going to watch more of that because I'm worried about scary escalation and I already lost enough sleep over hereditary back in the spring. I yeah. don't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something that a person and I sort of like had to like talk about a little bit about. Yes. So we're giving something to someone else to represent someone else. And it's not the right person type of thing. Yeah, It's not. It's a weird fit type of thing. And the question becomes, well, does it work?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's always a tough thing to balance and answer.
0: Yeah. So what one, my weekend genre is clearly Dr. Who for Rosa, right. I loved it. And it's didactic and it's obvious. And I don't care. I like the old moments in classic Doctor Who where they're like, so Susan, let's talk about the Aztecs and these things. Actually, they were a very advanced civilization. And like, I, I like that stuff. I would love to see Doctor Who get back to more pure historicals where the issue is like the TARDIS isn't working. And I'm a modern person in this very alien setting um, and I have to try to not get killed by people who think I'm a witch. You know, like that. I, I'm all for that. So I, I was enjoying just that slice of life that we got here for this. Uh, what about you? What when your weekend job Was it Hilda?
1: Uh, I don't want to give it to Hilda um, in part because I, we just discussed it this week, but it's like a month old. Okay. Um, but it, it, was, it was very good. Um, we should also know that DuckTales came back already um, for the most dangerous game night um have to acknowledge that ellipses. um and the episode's good it's like nothing particularly memorable but it's good um but i think i'll give it to the virgin gary because it's also very good and very silly and i was very glad to have legends back in my life this week yeah
0: oh there was so much awesome like genre stuff right at the beginning of my week i'm still super enjoying supergirl as well so i was like oh there's so much there's so much wonderfulness on my DVR right now, which is handy when you can't speak and don't really feel like moving for three days. So, um, on that cheery note, uh, we'll take a break and come back with our deep dive with season three of Daredevil. Right back after this.
2: I used to listen to people asking for help. That's what I was trying to do was help people. But I was fooling myself. Darkness only responds to darkness. I'm Daredevil. I have made many mistakes. But I accept the debt I'm paying because of them. Prison has changed me. What is it you're saying? I want to make a deal. He's claiming to have changed, but they don't know him like I do. The last time that we spoke, you threatened me. That is something that I cannot forgive. I'll stop him for good this time. There's only one way to stop me, but you're not going to do it. you sure about that? Just be careful that you don't become the monster. Because I've tried to make this city a better place. I will tell the world who you really are. Someone who's now showing his true colors. Sometimes you have to hurt one person for the greater good. A new villain. I think I might have found him. Daredevil is our true public enemy.
1: According to eyewitnesses, the brutal attack has been carried out by none other than
0: Daredevil. Daredevil. That was the trailer for this most recent and potentially final season of Daredevil. We're running long. So we're going to keep this on the shorter side. We say that we also, we're going to keep the rest of this on the shorter side and that hasn't worked. So we'll see how it goes. Listeners. Uh, Noel, what did you think about this third season of Daredevil? Did you miss the
1: ninjas? no i did not miss the ninjas kate what a ridiculous question to ask <laughs>
0: hopefully no one missed the ninjas it was very good no, that there no, were no
1: ninjas no i did not miss the ninjas i missed um i missed rosario dawson but okay. i mean we all miss rosario dawson except yeah, for jane the virgin yeah except for jane the virgin um so do we want to like segregate a spoiler type thing or can we just dive in do you feel like?
0: Okay, let's do a quick non-spoiler, just like a few sentences, overall thoughts, and then we'll go into spoilers. So, overall thoughts, if people haven't seen it, what do you recommend? Seek it out or no?
1: Um, I can't recommend, like, seeking it out like, too wholeheartedly, I feel like. Um, I think that there's good concepts here, but it suffers a lot from standard Netflix, Marvel Netflix padding um, type stuff, where there's a lot of stuff that just goes on a little too long um and it takes a little too long for things to happen that just for reasons that the show never can fully elucidate For what to my liking um it's definitely better than season two um and i think it's Better almost structurally than season one, because I had issues with season one's sort of video game structure of you beat the boss for this level, advance to the next level, beat that boss. All right, you're much closer to the kingpin. This this season does not have that structure, which I like. Um, and the season feels more overtly character driven than previous seasons does, which is a benefit and a curse for this show um, in on certain levels, which we can discuss in a more spoiler sort of field segment. So I think roughly it's on par with season one, but it's definitely better than season two. Um, the hallway fight is definitely not as good as season one's. Uh, the hallway fight is kind of trash in this season. Um, but Overall, it's fine, um, but I'd also much rather just be watching Luke Cage or Jessica Jones again. So that's sort of where I landed on it. How did you feel about it?
0: Um, I liked it much better than season two, and yeah. I would say different strengths and weaknesses in season one, but it has very much a back-to-basics vibe. Like you said, the character stuff works really well here, and some of the stuff is, you know, three seasons in, It's you, you've got two seasons worth of payoff, uh, so I think they handle that stuff well, particularly the Karen stuff. I like that we get more of a sense of Foggy's background as well. We meet his family and that I I liked that how that was all woven in. I think they do a good job with the kingpin. I think they mostly give the right amount of time. To their heroes and various villains. They have the right number of villains. Like, there's so many things this does right in a way that the previous seasons did not. And I don't just mean of Daredevil, I mean in general. I would say this third season is better than Jessica Jones season two. I would say uh-huh. it is um uh better than either Iron Fist season. And Luke K like I, I would put it like with Luke Cage season two, where it's like Better than the second half of Luke Cage season one. Not as good as the first half of Luke Cage season one. Uh, not really sure. Like, I found it more satisfying yeah. at times than, than Luke Cage because um, season two, that is. Uh, because in season two of Luke Cage, I there's things where I was like, but I don't believe that this is about actor availability and what you need the plot to have happen. So that's why we're doing this, not because of character. Whereas in this, I pretty much always bought character motivations um i also thought there was some good villain work and development and only a few characters was like i don't don't care about ray you know like there was only a few things like that i thought in general they handled it much better and yes there is some of the netflix bloat but not as bad as in most of those other netflix marvel seasons so i would say if you enjoy the marvel stuff and you haven't saw this one out yet because of fatigue i would say seek it out i i I liked the the one shot fight scene better and i remember it better than the other one shot fight scenes the fight itself might not be as good but there's other stuff like extended dialogue scenes and i just really like in the middle and i was like wait that is all part of this that must have been an interesting day for Charlie Cox.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's super fair. Um, Technically, I think it's probably better, but I also just enjoyed the choreography of, like, the bulletin fight a lot more.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah no, and, and I think there, and there are, like, I was remembering and engaged by the fight scenes yeah. in a way that, like, y'all know I usually am not. Yeah,
1: it's not your thing. Yeah. It's
0: not my thing. Um, and I'm like, oh, and now they're punching. So did, is there a new Twitter thing? Uh, are we... Did the world war yet with <sighs> North Korea, um, uh, or various things? Uh, but no, I was actually much more engaged with most of the fights, and I think most of them had the good balance of like the right length, and not all of them were like way too long. Like, on and I, I was constantly going like, but we don't. Why are they? Why are they fighting? I don't care it also had very much like that season one thing you'd be like oh and now we need to have a seven minute fight scene because that's why people watch this felt much more intentional uh so i appreciated that uh but in there i did have some problems with with the seasons there are some issues with it but they are spoilery so i will leave it there any other thoughts about music choreography acting no no, no okay let's dive in. so spoilers from now on there be spoilers and if you don't want them then stop listening and send us an email to television gmail.com find us on twitter like our page on facebook all of that good stuff now this is giving you time to stop your bd uh your, your your podcast device podcasting device and spoilers what did you think
1: it's fine it's like legitimately <laughs> fine um i thought it was so much some- better than fine I think it's some of it is just, like, there's a slogginess to it that I think is just endemic to these shows that I sometimes just get mired in. But the thing is, is, like, I want to think it's better than fine is the problem, because the character work is really generally good in this season. Like, aggressively good. Um, And it's such an interior season of this show. Um, I mean, you mentioned Back to Basics, but it's also just a... Charlie Cox is really good at acting in that ridiculous bandana mask. Right. He's really good at it. Yeah. And it's one of those things where he never, he never seemed comfortable in the daredevil outfit. So it just was like a smart decision to put him back in this outfit instead, where he seems much happier. (laughs) And, but I think that the larger issue is that the show very wisely goes, yeah, the Defenders ending was kind of bullshit. Um, let's not talk let's, about that. <laughs> let's not talk about that. And let's do this get out of jail card while addressing this idea of a loss of faith mm-hmm. and what that means and how that gets interrogated by your first big outing being undone by a systemic issue of we wanted to get this instead mm-hmm. with the FBI getting played played in air quotes yeah. um since it was just orchestrated really well. um Since Wilson Fisk owns the FBI now? Yeah. <laughs> um, which is a one of those things where you go, this is a neat comic book concept that does not play well on television. Um,
0: no. More on um, that in a bit. Yeah.
1: But just, again, I think the character work re- works really well. The stuff that Matt interrogates about trying to figure out who he is And why he wants to still protect Hell's Kitchen from Fisk To the um, to even sort of the slow burn of what Fisk is trying to do to get Vanessa back, basically To the realization that, oh no, wait My wife is just as ruthless and dangerous as I am Spoiler alert! Everyone, yeah. she was like that in season one. You just didn't realize it, Wilson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and like I like the, and, I really that moment of performance from D'Onofrio when yes, yeah, at, at the end of that episode. They and again another thing they do right is just the right amount of Vanessa.
1: Yeah, no, just the right amount of Vanessa because you need that to propel all of his all of that stuff. And yeah. God, it was so good to have D'Onofrio back too because he's so good. We but, needed the time away from him. We did. We absolutely did. So are so glad he's back. He's so glad. He's so glad he's back. Um, and then even like you, you mentioned the stuff with Foggy, which I think is really, really good overall as well. Um, even if like I sometimes feel like the writing campaign gets like backseated enough and basically relies too much on like viral moments to like mm-hmm. have any narrative momentum. Because they're just like, well, we need to do a whole episode about Karen, so we need to like really speed this along because we're going to devote entire, basically, forty minutes of a fifty-minute episode to Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, that that works really well. Um, so, yeah, do you want to talk about the Karen episode?
0: Sure. Well, first with Foggy, yeah. um, I also like—I would have liked more—but I like yeah. as much time as they gave to his relationship with i needed a lot
1: more
0: mallory or marjorie or his girlfriend blonde
1: yeah mallory Um, i think is correct but yes and and
0: because i really liked them together and i liked the depth that they gave her in season two which is one of the like the few good things (laughs) about season two um and and then i really liked um his time the time with the family and seeing where he comes from i thought just was like yep that sounds right that feels right it just it so it's so great with that performance it really made sense and clicked and it was just and you can see right orphan boy matt murdoch going to their home for thanksgiving yes. in college and stuff like it just like it's perfect like it really yeah, yeah. um and uh it, it just added like shading and dimension to the character where i was like have we not seen we haven't seen this before but yep. I feel like we kind of already had, <laughs> so that was so yep. good. I, I really appreciate that. But more, more time and a little bit more, like the girlfriend, you know, potential fiance was too much of an afterthought for too much of the season. But what we did get, I thought was good. Uh, let's talk about Karen. Let's talk about Deborah and Wool being very good and them, like I like I saw some people who were were a little, felt like the show expected too much from you by not really recapping exactly what had happened in season one. I remember that time in season one, where she just shot a guy um, and it was out of nowhere. And it was actually kind of amazing because it subverted what we thought was going to happen. Um, I thought that they actually handled that really well. I liked that it came back here and it came back in a way she didn't expect. And if depending on how you're watching, you might not have expected as a viewer either. Um, I liked the flashback. I thought it mostly, mostly worked um, hinting at but skating away from some of some very problematic uh, chapters in the show in the in the comics run. Um, yeah, and I and I think some of the just again the performance and some of the choices in the writing for that flashback episode uh, to having her be irresponsible but also very much on top of things. Like I thought that blended well and again made sense with what we had seen of the character. I thought like the ret- the family retcons we got this season mostly worked for me and felt earned.
1: Yeah, and I agree that the way that they came back with the James Wesley stuff worked really well here. And it again, it added a layer of like character work that was just sorely missing, um, especially from the second half of season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to a certain degree in the first half of season two because they were just so focused on Frank mm-hmm. um, and establishing that character. And then the second half was just like, well, we need established defenders, so here's a literal plot hole. <laughs> um, to be yep. filled later um that all of that gets doesn't go anywhere and so all that all that stuff that didn't get paid off in season one ends up getting paid off here because weirdly they don't ha- they don't fall into the marvel cinematic universe trap of having to set up something else hmm so when they get to do basically their, their own, own thing, story,
0: it yeah, it's amazing how that works. It's amazing
1: how, yeah, exactly. it's amazing how that works. And I think that that really helps um and it gives them focus even again, if they suffer from bloat, if they suffer from all right, this FBI plot is like dragging on endlessly and how dense is Ray possibly going to be um that. That that's just really frustrating, um. Sometimes and it's it's difficult because it gets repetitive, and yeah, we does. haven't even talked. We haven't talked about Point Dexter slash Bullseye yet, and we will in a second. I'm I'm sure. Um, but th- I think the Karen episode is fine, but it's also just for me, it's almost too much. It's like a little too long. We didn't need a full um,
0: episode, or we didn't need a full length episode.
1: Yeah, and also we just didn't need the entire like that entire section of that episode just to be that flashback. Mm-hmm. Um without like interspersing it with like something else that mm-hmm. Karen's doing in the present. Um that is just kind of comes up on you, basically. Um and I think that you are right though, that it rectifies like the problematic character stuff that has happened to Karen in the comics, which is just not good. Mm-hmm. It's never been good. Mm-hmm. Um so it makes it it recontextualizes a lot of the character in ways that really needed to happen a lot sooner than they happen here. Um, But it's, it's good. It's good. Um, It's just, it's long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it also, but all of this character stuff also speaks to, and also like how they handle it from um, a few, a few flashbacks for Matt to how they depict representations of matt psyche slightly mm. out of focus whether it's wilson or whether it's his dad out of focus and in an echo sort of timber voice type of thing which i think generally works really well but speaks to a larger sense of theatricality that this season has that i really really like
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and even if Again, it goes on too long, Um, specifically dealing with Wilson learning about Point Dexter's pass. And I love how they stage all of that. Like the whole fact that it's done in the penthouse, basically, with props to represent a ball field or a psychiatrist's office integrated into this setting and then done in a black and white for virtually no reason. Let's be artsy um, fartsy. Yeah, let's be artsy fartsy. And then they just tip over a little bit too much when they do that assassins slash um cell block tango So sp- stupid cool. It's bad. It's like, oh, I was really into this. You lost me. Too far. You went too far. You're too yeah. far. Come back. <laughs> um but it established so many other things really well for the back half of that season with the whole manipulation of a North star and Wilson's manipulations thereof, or it's just so well done, even when they're a little spelled out, they're still really well done for me. Um, and so I really, I really appreciated that aspect of it. Even if again, it feels like a little too long for um, point Dexter to come to the realization that he's just a pawn in all of this and he's being controlled. Um, but it's still good is the thing. And it's one of those instances of this took too long, but I still really like it.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, most of it. Yes. Most of it. I really liked. Um, I, that episode I thought worked really well. And in general, actually I thought they did really well with Dex. They and with because I didn't know that was Bullseye. I didn't know the where that was going, and I thought they actually that character progression over the course of the season was terrific. With a big old exception, uh, we talked about the problematic stuff with Karen in the comics. We did not talk about the literal fridging, literal yep. fridging of Julie, um, and having and Dex it's so bad. It's so bad having Dex. Do the like kill five people at the bulletin, and then go out for for like maybe it was just a phase. He goes out for coffee with Julie, and then goes like, oh, she blacked me. I guess I'll just go kill people again. Like it was so stupid that like that coffee thing needed to happen before he went and massacred people. Yes, like I don't even know what they were thinking with that. Um, because and that was part of the having too many episodes thing. Um because if they had done if they had even just had like the uh, everything like the the horrible first date and then he does the like the co- like the jogging thing and and then she just disappears and they don't even have the coffee right and she and, and they they kill her take her phone and do that thing like even that would have worked better And then later he finds their body. Like, yeah, but like the way they did it, like, I didn't even realize that was her being killed when she was being killed until I like eventually piece that together. That that's because like I didn't like the text from Julie didn't make any sense. I was like, oh, was that that was her being killed? Oh, okay, Yeah. The show didn't care at all, which is why I couldn't tell what was happening. And um, that was really frustrating. Um, And deservedly
1: frustrating. I like, it's a weird note for this show to hit. Yeah. And just deeply commit to.
0: They should have done better on that. And they did. not But I thought the stuff before that with Dexter and stuff, like, after that with Dexter was all really great. Like, super creepy when he goes with her frozen body in the car. Like, (sighs) I didn't like the fridging. But, like, even just so that you could have that shot, maybe
1: it's worth it. Because, like... It's not, but it's a good shot. But it's a good
0: shot, right? And it really yeah. nails like the crazy and like the like the dangerous. Like this is why you don't try to like feed psychoses and build yourself a, a little murderer because that's a bad idea, Wilson. Um, so I thought that actually worked well. Ray also went back and forth too many times. Uh, that was another problem with it, but the other reveals, like the the captain at the FBI, I thought that would really was handled really well. Um, I thought the overall pacing for that stuff worked well. Uh, I did not like the the big reveal. Ah, Wilson Fisk has been in charge of everything the whole time. Ah, like that was tiresome to me. Uh, but having the team so entirely on the ropes. At the end of the season, where you legitimately, it seems like there's no possible way they could yep. win. Um, that was effective. So I don't know if they could have gotten to there in a different way. That would sure. have, that you know. Because then I just felt like, well, then why did I watch all the stuff that I watched? Is Wilson Fisk just that good of an actor? Like, no. I, no, he's not. I do buy him being that good of a dancer, though. Because you know that is somebody who had, like, an awkward awkward chubby kid who had dance lessons from his parents. Yeah.
1: like Yeah, somewhere. which I think they even mention. Like, yeah, I think that's like established for him. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, yeah, the Julie stuff's just rough. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of the bullseye sort of character since he's normally pretty unhinged. Mm-hmm. Um, not in like a Joker sort of way, just generally sort of how they kind of depict him here. Yeah. Um, sort of way, and but I also just like that his power is literally I throw things real good. Um. <laughs> But they choreograph how that works and how that looks.
0: They convey it really well in the fight scenes. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah, no. And it looks really good. And it, it doesn't feel silly at any point where it's just like, oh, no, dude knows how to throw a stapler through a neck. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and, and the, like having, even they have Matt comment on it like rage he's got me but if I get close in I can I was kicking his ass when we were close in which makes sense because yes he is it was a soldier and like uh, like all these like he's he's a badass but he wasn't like a secret trained by you know super powered like ninjas and everything like Matt is that he should lose instantly in a cl- in a close fight just yeah Matt doesn't have his toys or his armor right now so that like I thought that they actually conveyed mm-hmm. that in the choreography much better than some of the other choreography yep. in different, different shows and even in this show in different seasons.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, the last fight's solid, I think, um, with the, th- the three way battle. Uh, yes. Between the three of them. Ex- and except, go ahead. Except
0: when all, all of a sudden he's trying to stop bullseye from killing Kingpin. When does he decide that? It doesn't make any sense. It's not earned. he just, decide like when it, when it seems like he's trying to stop bullseye from killing vanessa but he doesn't really care yeah. what happens to the king. that totally works but at a certain point in the fight that stops happening um mm-hmm. and that i didn't buy i didn't think they had they earned that was just what needed to happen so that we could have the parallel to the beginning of the season like it's like i see what you're doing it's the finale we're calling back to the premiere and now now they've changed places and who has the power and
1: No, you're exactly what that was.
0: Yeah. And having the blood on the the painting and everything, too, I thought, it was like, again, I see what you're doing. It's working.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, basically. No, that's exactly how I felt about it, too. I was just like, I see you, show. I see you. Yeah. You're a lot more put together this season overall, I think. I feel like you've earned
0: this, you know? Yeah, you've earned this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I see you.
0: (laughs) But it's still kind of like, is they going to get the, yeah, they are yeah yeah that's what they're doing okay okay fair enough you can have this one killed
1: that nice old lady off screen just so we could do this yeah (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) um the i did like that they i didn't need the shot of the blood on the painting which was Mm -hmm. a bit much but i liked how immediately everybody knew what was going on there and they didn't feel the need to explain it to us i appreciated that i did not appreciate that all the different like Needs like the flashbacks that they felt like we needed a reminder. Do they not know how they've trained us to watch these shows? Like, we don't need a reminder of what happened in episode two of this season. We have not probably watched. Like at the at the slowest, somebody's going to watch this is maybe if they decide to do one a week. In which case, yeah. they don't need a refresher for something that happened two months ago. Uh, that was so there were some unusual choices in the editing in the last like couple episodes with that that was tiresome, but. In general, I, you know, I, I'm i nitpicking here. In general, I did enjoy the season overall. And uh, I think it was a good place to end it. Um, if it does end, I think it's a very fit. Like, the, Matt just is like, I'm happy now. I worked through my issues. Yeah. Like, it's too trite and easy. But yeah. if it's the end, it's a very, like, it's an ending that works. And I also just really appreciate the understanding, going back to the character stuff, of the show has, like, the number of times where Foggy's like, no, it's just it's a Catholic thing. Like, that's enough of an answer. Like, I was like, yeah, "Yeah, as someone who's raised Catholic, it's like, yes. No, that's, that's right. That's, like, that's all you need to say. We've done all the -the over-the-top, heavy-handed symbolism. Um, Oh, you know what the last thing we should talk about? Maggie. I thought they nailed Maggie. I really liked Maggie.
1: The nun. Oh, thank you. Gosh, I i the nun thank you because i couldn't think of her name no it was super good and the other thing i really liked is that they cast a young woman who i reasonably believed would age into that woman mm-hmm. i was just like this is very good yeah <laughs> yep um, i could have done without like the reveal because it just seemed really perfunctory. Oh,
0: that was a stupid reveal. they should like why is she talking out loud we've never seen her praying talking out loud and she knows her son is super super hearing so like yeah yeah, that's stupid. But yeah. other than that, I thought the rapport worked really well. I like
1: the performances, like the chemistry. Yeah. She and Cox, yeah, she and Cox had so much chemistry. It was kind of ridiculous. Yeah,
0: yeah. Any other elements of the season that you want to talk about or, or any other thoughts?
1: No, no, I'm pretty good. I, Yeah, I, I, yeah it's, it's fine. It's good. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I ended up watching it when I said I wasn't going to, because uh-huh. I did enjoy like a large number of the elements of it. But I also feel like watching four to five episodes at a time was not a good idea.
0: <laughs> See, and again, I watched it in like a day and I was, it was fine, but I was totally entertained watching it. I was only bored a few points. I thought that for me, it worked much better. But again, cold meds might have helped. Um, so on that cheery note um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there or find us in M- iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 on feed. And we're also, uh, up in Stitcher. You can leave us a rating review either place. We would appreciate it. It helps other people find the show and let us, uh, let us know that you're listening. Cause like we know Carl's out there and like, I don't know. A few other people, but we like hearing from you. Uh, Vince, right. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, then you can also, uh, find us on uh, Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are?
1: I am at Noel RK and I'm going to break the rhythm here, Kate. I apologize. I have something to plug. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've started, I'm going to start, um, on Tuesday, a newsletter. Mm -hmm. Um, that's basically a blog. It's basically a blog that you will just get sent to your email address. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're interested in signing up for that, um, it'll include basically me thinking about something I'm reading, watching, playing, or something that's sort of like going on in my life. It's going to be a little more like personal than say my Twitter feed is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you can sign up for that if you want. Um, it's at tinyletter.com slash spaghetti on Tuesday. Um and you're you'll get one email a week on Tuesday mornings from me, um, about anything that's going on, uh that I'm thinking about basically. So if you're interested in that, again it's tinyletter dot com slash spaghetti on Tuesday. Cool. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Interesting. Looking forward to it. That sounds like so much work.
1: <laughs> I'm, i I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I'm like ugh. Hopefully it won't be like too much work, but yeah. Um, yeah, I talk a little bit about why I'm doing it in the first one that will go out on Tuesday.
0: Awesome. Excellent. I look forward to reading it. Um, so thank you, Noel. Thank you, Kate. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.